Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. We understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. To learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations' websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations' names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Welcome to the Bible. Wait, what? My name's Jeannie and I'm sitting down here with Pastor Rowan as always. Hey everyone. He's ready for our deep questions today. Oh, I'm as ready as I'll ever be, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and this is actually a special podcast. We're going to be doing a few special podcasts, I think, over the year. And this is our first one on the topic of the Holy Spirit. And I'm joined today with retired Pastor Jeff from C.T. Thrall. G'day everyone. And our lovely Amanda, who is the current creative arts team leader, as well as other things, right? Yes, yes, pretty much. That's me. Yep. And we're sitting down today because uh, we have these meetings on Mondays and basically we just love to talk. And uh, so here we are. We're on a topic that I find very confusing. So okay, here we go. There's some questions that need to be asked on this Holy Spirit, whatever it is. You guys know because you're Pentecostals and I grew up in a Baptist church. Uh, so it's been a very different view that I've had. So I'm going to throw some questions at you, and if it offends you, I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> no, you won't offend us, Jean. I think that's the beauty of these podcasts, though. There's no question too silly to that's ask, it. especially when it comes to this particular topic. I think everyone will still be learning until the day Jesus comes back. So, yeah, that's right. um, yeah and that's, that's what the Holy Spirit's here for, right? Yeah, to help us to, to learn. Use this bonus episode to just drill down into the the topic of the Holy Spirit and the filling filling of the Holy Spirit and all that in a bit more depth than we've been able to do in in the previous weekly podcast, don't we? So yeah, because we've yeah. had this is going to be four weeks on the Holy Spirit, yes, that's uh, right. leading up to Pentecost. Seven weeks on the Holy seven, Spirit. Seven weeks. seven weeks on the Holy Spirit. So here we are sitting down today, and I just want to ask one question to start: Where does the Holy Spirit start in the Bible? Where does he come from? We already addressed that, didn't we? The Holy Spirit is... Where, where's the Holy Spirit first mentioned, Jeff? Well, at the very beginning, he was hovering 
hovering mm. above the the waters. Yeah, wasn't that's it? right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the spirit hovered. Genesis chapter one. Yeah, you Genesis know, you know that journey. That's true. Yeah, yeah. but I, and I, but I've been finding as I'm reading the Bible, there are all these references to the spirit, but yes. I didn't pick up on it on my first read through right. of the Bible. I just thought it was all an act, not an yeah. act, but an the book of the book Acts. Of yeah, where the Holy Spirit turns up in this crazy moment in Pentecost and suddenly all these people seem to be speaking different languages. Mm, yeah. And that's about as far as we got in my Baptist church. But mm. I find when I come to this church, there's a lot of people talking about spirit-led moments and sure. they see the spirit moving and they, when you, Amanda, are up there singing, you're you cry out to the Holy Spirit to join us in this moment. And I, I walk into this church and if I didn't have the knowledge I had, I'd be kind of like, what are they talking about? Yeah, that's right. It can, it? Seem, um, it can seem like, you know, when there's a, uh, a supernatural aspect to it, it can be, especially to our Western enlightened view, it can seem a bit weird, a bit strange, a bit funky. And so maybe through this process, we can actually um, normalise the working of the Holy Spirit a little bit, um, not to put God in a box and say, "Oh, the Spirit, you know, is always working in a in a normal, functional way." It's just, it, the Spirit is a supernatural being, so we expect supernatural things. But getting some clarity clarity around how the Holy Spirit works, and that and that um, to, to normalize it and make it sound okay, that makes sense. I can see why things can be a bit strange. I can see why they fit out; they don't fit in the box that maybe we've prepared. I think if we can do that, then we've done our job in this next hour or so. Or three hours. <laughs> or three hours. See how we've got. See how we go. I, I would agree, Rowan. Don't um, you know, when I was a, a young fella in my teens, uh, I guess that's when I first kind of heard about the Holy Spirit and this whole idea of the, the, that there was another realm other than, you know, the, the earth that we live in, but there was a spiritual component to everything that happened. That just excited me so much. And um, so I, I guess that's what first drew me to to a Pentecostal-style right. um, teaching, you know. I thought, I want to be a part of this, you know, because mm. I just felt there was more than just, you know, what happens on earth sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm. What about you, Amanda? When did you sort of first hear this Holy Spirit? I was very young. My parents became Christians um, either just before or just after I was born. Um, and they were saved, when they were saved, they started in a church, a very strict, um, pen- technically Pentecostal church. Um, but their, their beliefs were a little different to um, a Pentecostal, a traditional Pentecostal movement uh, would believe. However, the Holy Spirit was a very big part of uh, what they believe, and they actually believed that uh, if you were not baptized in the Holy Spirit and didn't uh, speak in tongues, then you weren't saved and you weren't going to heaven. Um, now, because that was part uh, such a huge part of our lives growing up, I was six years old when I said, "I I want to speak in tongues. I want that." So I started praying and asking for to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. And I actually asked my mum this the other day, how long was it between when I first went up for prayer at church and when I started speaking in tongues? And she said it wasn't long. She couldn't remember exactly, but it would have been a couple of days possibly. Um, 
And yeah, I was six years old. And but growing up, I still I never really understood why I would receive such a, an amazing gift and a unique gift so early in life. Um, however, that was probably my first real experience. Um, that was my experience, not my parents, um, with the Holy Spirit. I'll, I guess I'll talk a little bit more about that story later if it comes up. But yeah, that's my first experience. You went straight to the point of speaking in tongues there. I That's did. That's probably well, the most <laughs> controversial part. So I did, I did. Because my upbringing, upbringing says to you speaking the in... opposite of that. It's the opposite of that. I thought yeah. you might probably touch on that a little later. So I, that's why I thought, oh, let's, I'll talk a bit more about that later. But that is the answer to your question. No, that's my, a great answer. Was it a good question? I don't, I don't know about it. It was a good answer. <laughs> Rowan, did you have something to add then? No, I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to uh, talking about the theology of speaking in tongues as part of that process and what that means. That's, I think that's the question that most people will have, along with uh, the concept of supernatural gifts of spirit, the, the supernatural gifts of the spirit operating in and through people. Uh, they're all very valid questions, and especially um, if you've come, like you, Jenny, come from a background that maybe is uh, more leaning towards a cessationist view which a cessationist teaching teaches that the gifts of the supernatural gifts of the holy spirit they don't uh, cessationists don't believe those gifts aren't real they just believe that they stopped with the end of the apostles so once the apostles the last of the apostles died um those gifts aren't and required anymore and aren't needed and usually they say we've got the bible now so we don't need those that's probably an oversimplistic view but that's what a cessationist believes and a lot of the mainline denominations have been probably largely cessationist and and pentecostals the pentecostal movement began about 120 years ago um, in force and spread across the world um, early in the 20th century there's always been uh people who are Pentecostal or charismatic and believe in the supernatural gifts of the spirit throughout church history, but in pockets, really, um, mm. until the 20th century. Um, but what I have noticed in the, I've been a Christian over 30, 34, 35 years now, but what I have noticed is by and large, with some exceptions that stay on the fringes, there has been um, a, a merging towards the middle on these areas of charismatic gifts, supernatural gifts of the spirit. And uh, those that were uh, cessationist, while there are still some churches that are fiercely that way, you, you mentioned Baptists. I've got lots of Baptist friends I know who are baptised in the Holy Spirit and do speak in tongues and do believe in the miracles uh, of God. And uh, with the exception of a few Pentecostal churches that maybe are still in the really weird, extreme, quirky end that, um, you know, like Amanda said, that that particular denomination that says you have to speak in tongues to be saved with the exception of a few radicals i think most people have met in the middle and found a bit of a happy medium mm. uh, where where they recognize the supernatural work of the holy spirit uh, but not necessarily in a way that needs to be scary or freaky in fact it's really important if you're listening to this and you are a bit freaked out stick with us one of the most important things i like to say to people is jesus uh, jesus actually <coughs> uh, tells a story about how he says if anyone, um, if you fathers know how to give good, good gifts to your children, um, you know, why will your heavenly father not give good gifts to you? Uh, if you, if your child asks you for a, a, um, a loaf of bread, you don't give them a, a snake or a scorpion or if asked for an egg, you don't give them a, a scorpion and so on. And then he says, um, and if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the father give you the Holy Spirit? So he straight away, Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is a good gift. So if you're, if you're freaked out a little bit, stick with us because the Holy Spirit is a good gift. 
doesn't mean that there aren't strange things. God is supernatural, but it's not to be feared. The gift of the Holy Spirit is a good thing. I agree with you there. I was just, um, you just made me think of what growing up sort of my pre-Bible reading observations of it, I suppose. And when I, I would always think that the Holy Spirit is something more of the New Testament, you know, than the Old Testament. Mm. And it seemed to be some kind of character maybe that was introduced by Jesus and it's meant to continue his work when he leaves. This is kind of what I was thinking growing up and that it is something to be revered but specifically something to be feared because of that one verse in the Bible that says, uh, though the person who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, like the one thing you won't be forgiven by. So that was something that was I thought about. And then I would go to these meetings like, those big did you ever go to those youth alive and stuff and (laughs) yeah and they would talk about the holy spirit and the music was there and it was so emotive and and it was just a different way and they would say can you sense the spirit and stuff and so there was that side of it but then there was also this other side of you'd hear people i started hearing terms like slain in the spirit you know, oh, I hate that term. Prophecy. <laughs> like all of these you did things, use it earlier today, Jeff. But. There's this weirdness around it and also a fear to step in, a fear to know more. And in my Baptist church, certainly, if you went that way, then you were crazy. Mm. You know, you, you were. <laughs> if you're listening to this, people that knew me at church, they, well, I don't mean you're crazy, but that's just one thing that, <laughs> well, people that I do know deeply love say, Speaking tongues, spirit stuff, you're crazy. Mm. You're crazy. And anybody who walks into the church and sees it from the outside, it's just going to be really off-putting and turn people away. Mm. Mm. I get that. Yeah. I get that. And I think that's part of what we might unpack. Yes. Um, Some of that is addressed in 1 Corinthians. So it's a very valid form. And I don't think Pentecostals have always done ourselves favours because we've taken things too far or brought in some extremes and and uh you know it can be confusing to people i'm not saying we should water down the spirit that's the other end of it but i think some explanation and some uh some acknowledgement that people need to experience god in a way that they feel comfortable to understand what's happening is, is vital and hopefully that's what this podcast will do a little bit I just want to state this before we go back because I want to go to the beginning and this is why I want to go to the beginning. After reading the Bible again these last few times, it's like the Holy Spirit, I felt like it was like... Just mark that. She just said, after reading the Bible <laughs> again <laughs> these last few times... I know, I know. If you're you watching times, on YouTube, you'll see my shoulders moving after. She just thinks that's funny that Jeannie <laughs> well, said yeah. these last few times. See, if you're out there, you need to know Jeannie reads the Bible a lot. Yeah, I do. It's a weird thing about me. It's one of the things... It's not no, weird. It's awesome, no, Jeannie. it's awesome. And it's one of the things I absolutely love about you, Jeannie. I love it. Oh, that's it's, nice. Yeah. <laughs> but I did find it's like, you know, in a TV show or a movie and you get to the end and there's been this character that's like right at the end, you're really aware of them and they've done something massive towards the plot. But if you go back and you think about it and you think, oh, I didn't really remember them at the beginning. But mm. slowly, if you go back in time, you, you're introduced to the character at the beginning, then yeah. over episodes or time, they, they become more important. They're integral to the plot. They do things that result in big twists or turns and by the end you think holy cow i can't believe how massive they are to this yeah, story yeah. and they were there the whole time i just missed it 
that's mm. a great that's analogy. That's what I think is awesome. Fabulous. Yeah. yeah. And I think as we've been doing the Bible reading plan with so much Old Testament scriptures referencing the Spirit's work, I think that's mm. a good example of going back and going, oh, the Spirit was working in the plot all the way along. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is why, back to the beginning, God's Spirit hovered. Right? Is that what mm-hmm. you yes. the verse hovered, was? Hovered. Yeah. Brooded. Brooded. Can you explain that a little more? I know we have, but just... Just in two seconds, go. Two seconds. One of you do it. Yeah. Someone else should do it to see if they've been listening. Go on, oh, Jeff. Well, uh, I don't know. Pick up your mind, Jeff. The, the picture that I have in my mind is that, you know, that, that, that God the Father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit were all together. And, and, you know, I get this picture in my mind, I guess, of nothingness and the Holy Spirit kind of just looking after all this nothingness and this chaos that existed just sort of keeping his eye on it and then the time came to change that and to to bring the light to that and to bring um order into the chaos Um, brilliant i guess that's the the picture i get and i get i guess there's also the 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 thought that we kind of can think of the holy spirit as like a mist sort of hanging over the ocean or something you know but i don't really think that's correct um that's probably one of the thoughts that i've had in my mind over the years as i've con- kind of come to know the holy spirit more I, I i think i understand that he's not just a mist or a, a sp- an impersonal force yeah like a, a force but that he a is person. he's more of a person yeah more of a, a, an identity yeah for sure does that help yeah, but even when you said person, I'm like, what the heck? All right. Yeah, right. yeah okay. not person in the same sense that we think of personality because we think person means human. Yes. Is that what mm. you mean? Yes. Yeah. 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 And yet we're talking about a person that isn't human. I mean, Christ became human, um, but the Holy Spirit isn't a human being and yet has personality, is, is, is an individual identity. Yeah. So he's not a human being, but he is a being. A being, yes, part, yes. And I've touched on this in a couple of other podcasts, and this is this is hard to work through. But and we may or may not deal with it today. But um, even the sense that, with the exception of some pretty bad translations, and I'm an NLT person, but the NLT does this. Um, all the references in the whole to the Holy Spirit. And this is to help this identity, this concept of the Holy Spirit not uh, not being a human but being a person or a personality. All the references to the Holy Spirit in the Bible are actually gender neutral. So, um, you know, I've noticed Jeff saying, he, the Holy Spirit. Well, that's, and the NLT does that, but the actual language of the, new, of the original Greek is gender neutral. Now, in French, you know, every verb has, a, has a, a male or a female attached to it, la or le, for instance. English doesn't really have that, but less, less so here. So the Holy Spirit isn't referred to as a man. Uh, Jesus absolutely unquestionably is a man, yeah. but I think the fact that the Holy Spirit is gender neutral lends weight to this thing that this concept that the Holy Spirit is um, is actually a person without being human. The Holy Spirit doesn't have gender. Being a rather, being, rather and that's very hard if we're to, to train ourselves out of that language because we're so used to saying that. True. Um, I, but you know, and I don't, I'm not hung up on it. And I, I think I've touched on this before. We'll be talk, talking in a couple of months about the Father. And that, I remember saying to Jeannie in a podcast, that, that's 
um, that's important that I don't I don't the Holy the Father is also gender neutral Jesus is a man the Father is also gender neutral however I'm not an advocate for just removing the concept of father or some people are saying replace it with father or mother or whatever I'm not an advocate for doing that because I actually think in the process of doing that we lose some of the attributes that are fa- that are related to uh, the, the understanding of a father at the time that we'll lose if we don't explain that. So I'm more in favour of leaving the term father and explaining it. But with the Holy Spirit, I don't think there's anything to be gained necessarily by calling the Holy Spirit a man. So if we can work our language and understand that the Holy Spirit is is a person but not a human being as part of the creator God, I think that's the way to go. Just worth bringing that into that mix there. Kind of a, to me... It's Did your laptop just go flat, Amanda? Yeah, it just died. You need a charger. No, I've got a charger. I can plug it in okay, if I need it. I'm in. okay for now. All right. Um, I just wanted to have the Bible at my fingertips because we're using our phones yes, you can to record. Yes, when you finish your thought. That's fine. Yeah, it's all good. I, I guess, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of your notes, Jeannie. Um, that's why I kind of leaned over. But I think that's a perfect segue into explaining the Trinity. Um Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and how that explaining works. the Trinity. Yeah. <laughs> how long have we got? Uh, Pastor Rowan, <laughs> that's inexplainable. Explaining the Trinity. Well, I mean, from the beginning, I guess we're going from the beginning um, that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit always existed. Son, the Son is the Man, God in human form. The Spirit is God in spirit form, yes. right? Yes. And God is. The father god is not far like yes he's our father but god is father yes. but they are one and yes. he was yesterday he was the same yesterday today and forever which means the holy spirit always existed from the start but jesus the son gave us the holy spirit as a gift um do you want to elaborate on that uh no, go ahead Ron. um <laughs> There's, I know there's a lot. To, there is a lot to talk think? about. Yeah. Um, is the is Trinity that, in your notes anywhere? I, I didn't catch the Trinity in my. Okay, notes. I'll, look, <laughs> we could probably we'll do, do a separate podcast. We, we won't. Yeah, we won't go into a massive amount of depth. But for those no, that don't no, know anything, yes, that's absolutely right. The doctrine of the Trinity, which actually did not form up in its final form until about 330 AD. P.S. I love all of this history right. stuff that you're adding to this, by okay. the way. This yeah, is well, great. So the doctrine of the Trinity, as is the case throughout the Bible, we've talked about this a lot in the podcast, that prog- a revelation is progressive. What we, we know now, not necessarily the First Testament, the first century didn't know, and some of the Old Testament stuff by the time they got to the first century, uh, God has always told his story through the limitations of human history and understanding. And so the doctrine of the Trinity is one of those. It was in 330, about 330 AD, the Emperor Constantine called the Council of Nicaea together because there was a a teaching that was becoming prevalent in the church called Arianism, which is not that dissimilar to modern day Jehovah's Witnesses. In fact, they would probably trace the history back to that, which is that, uh, that the, the Son is a created being, not the creator God, and that the Spirit is actually a, not a person. The Spirit is just a figure of speech that's used as only one God, the Father. And uh, this guy called Arius was was preaching this and all the church fathers and church leaders got together and they discussed this and they looked at scripture and talked about it and looked at what we're talking about here, which is this progressive revelation through the Bible. And they came to this agreement that no, hidden there in the pages of the Bible and revealed throughout history is the concept that the Father is three in one, the Father, the Son and the Spirit. And this was uh, put into the Nicene Creed, which is the fundamental framework of orthodox christianity whether that's catholic eastern orthodox pentecostal evangelical 
we might have differences in lots of areas, but that Nicene Creed will be the fundamental aspect that is unique, is, is common to all of us. And for those that are wanting to figure that out, Amanda, you touched on it, the Father, uh, is one part, one person in the Trinity, the Son, uh, always existing eternally, became a human being, didn't just come into being at the point of being um, impregnated in Mary's womb, but always was existing eternally, but in some mystery beyond us became human in that moment. And the Spirit, who was right there in Genesis 1, uh, the third person in the being, uh, third person in, in the Creator um, Godhead, is... Um, is the instrument through which a lot of creative, we see creative work happening. Um, the reference to the spirit we've been looking at is the creative aspect of God. And that's not to say that God the Father doesn't do creation or Jesus doesn't do creation. In fact, they, they're one, they're anyway. one being, they're in unity. Yeah. So, and, and where, how much, is, that messes with our head. The three in one messes with our head. Is it one in three? Is it three in one? What does that mean? Mm. I think that tr the foundational belief is that they are three separate beings who are so intricately linked that they operate as one, but they have three, three individual wills. Three, it's not like individual not wills, not one no. third of one being. Three individual wills that have chosen in love to because you can't have love unless you've got will. So the the, the Father, yeah. Son, and Spirit operate together mm -hmm. in such, such chosen unity that they exist as one. And then that's the whole concept of the Bible talking about the two becoming one in a marriage it's because they they're still yep. two beings but they unite together as one that's god's plan and that's what it's supposed mm. to be like so it's not that and you see this all the way through you see jesus um jesus saying i do what my father tells me well he's straight away there's a derivation of two different wills there yeah. he's chosen to abide by his father and he says and we've read this repeatedly in this in this series in the, the john scriptures he says i will send the spirit well there's a derivation of two separate wills there so yep. there's this unity among three beings that for all intents and purposes operate as one being that's my uh, very somewhat amateur uh, view of trying to explain the trinity and i may have missed things there's confusion around that um and it's you know it's, i'm ever trying to learn that but i think just what are your thoughts after hearing that well i know i've heard people say that you know we shouldn't use the word trinity because it's not in the bible but the thing is the components for what we call the trinity are in the bible yep. mm. the, the trinity is a word that we've come up with at some stage to in history explain it. to explain mm. it yeah that's right um I, I remember we were talking about this one time in a connect group years and years ago and i thought i think i was the the leader of the group and i thought i don't really understand this and so i prayed about it while we were in the connect group and and god gave me this picture of a of a fountain with a um you know like um let's say the fountain in friends you know that, that has like a pond at the bottom and it had three spouts and so the water would mix together in the pond come up the the, the um, fountain and come out the three separate spouts but then it would all come back together again mm -hmm. so when it's coming out it's separated but then it all mixes back in again so for me anyway that that set my mind at ease and i was happy to to and i've been happy since that time to think yeah that would that works for me yeah with the trinity. and that's a good example of when you talk about analogies for the whole for the trinity no one analogy is perfect there are lots of different ones ice and 
water steam chicken and eggs and all kinds of stuff yeah. and none of them just are eggs. perfect yeah. chicken and just eggs. eggs the way an egg's formed yeah. oh right yes yeah the shell the white and the yolk is yes, that what you yeah. mean so um you know none of these are like none that. of these analogies are perfect because um the concept of the trinity is beyond our our, our human reasoning there is a sense in which it's yes. faith but we can that yeah. faith revealed by an understanding of scripture so anyway that's the that's the spirit that's the holy spirit as part of the creative uh personality of the godhead if you like hmm. so does that kind of take us off tangent for where we want to go or put, give uh, some framework to you that? said the word creative and yes. that's what i want to pick up on because sure. we were just talking about creation yes and creative and uh the word ruach which we've talked about before in god's breath mm-hmm. hovering the spirit hovering and um this is god's presence as you said pastor jeff and god breathed life into existence so in a sense he gives of himself right he pours himself into creation his creative creation and then i notice we don't read that god's spirit leaves god's spirit stays in the earth yeah yeah that's, stays that's there as he's created his humans yeah. um and he calls the creation good and he's there right the spirit is there in the earth uh, I just I thought that was really interesting because it I just find that oh, I don't know what this has happened to me on the podcast if you ever listen I get so confused I guess <laughs> there's so much going on sometimes in my I mind. edit out Jeannie's pauses because she oh. just gets she, her head goes in multiple directions so I be Thanks. kind to you and I just shorten it down so where do you want to go I'm going here with creation so basically I think then we start to see as we read the Bible because I went through and I looked up where the spirit appears boom 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 list you know verse after verse and we see it in creativity yes yeah and in dreams and and also people become i think we first read it people become filled with the spirit of god to do certain tasks and a lot of those tasks are creative tasks and well the first time we actually see it was in genesis 41 with uh, joseph's dreams yes and uh, where pharaoh asks his officials in 4138 can we find anyone else like this, like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of god to interpret gene, dreams so the spirit of god that's one thing i've noticed the spirit of god does mm-hmm. do you would you agree so yeah, let's god. just park on that for a moment because yeah. that's weird that's totally i mean you're talking weird. about weird stuff right at the beginning here we're talking about the spirit interpreting dreams so for us in western mindset that seems weird yeah. the whole concept of interpreting dreams i mean maybe we've got some idea of freudian thinking around dreams and his crazy ideas but Mm. but yes in the beginning there is a sense in the spirit is involved in speaking to us and through us through those semi-conscious dream states we were talking about some pretty weird dreams last week too weren't we in daniel yeah Yeah, exactly Mm. yeah in fact lots of prophetic stuff in the bible is in that concept of dreams and being mm. able to interpret dreams, like that mm. would have been so mm. strange yes. for those people around Joseph. That would have been a real God moment. Like, what? How can he? How can he understand this? Yeah. Mm. So the Spirit of God there is this. That's a miracle, I think. Yes, like it's and crazy. They, and people also misinterpreted dreams too. They were like, "Hold on a minute, what? You, we're bowing down to you? What's going on? Without yep. the Spirit, yep, mm, they're not." interpreting them correctly yeah it's true and then the next we see is the spirit of god gives great wisdom ability and expertise around the temple the tabernacle creation which if you should listen to that podcast (laughs) that's a good one that was a good one yeah in exodus we read exodus 35 the lord has filled 
Bezalel with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. Creative. Mm. The spirit, and it's the spirit of wisdom to create things. Yeah. Did you ever notice that before? I well, I have, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but not when I not when I first started learning about the Holy Spirit. I just parked myself in the Book of Acts. Mm. You know, like you said at the very beginning, and. But as I've read through the Bible over the years, I've come to see the Holy Spirit everywhere. Um, and, and that's part of, I think we've talked about that uh, in the podcast before, that when we read the Bible, you know, we, 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 this meditative literature that uh, they talk about in the Bible project, that we get to a, a certain word or a phrase and we think, hang on, I've heard of that before. You know, and then we go, oh, yeah, that's right, the Spirit was hovering so that helps us to to remember and and so we can read something that happened at at a certain time and then that helps us to remember but that also helps us to look forward to what's going to happen so i don't know that's part of reading the bible isn't it yes seeing all the different places that the spirit yeah has been and and i think with the interpreting dreams and um giving people the wisdom for creativity, I think that still happens today, for sure. Would, would you agree, Rowan? Absolutely. I, I think creativity um, is, is a fundamental part of the nature of God, and therefore if humans are created in the image of God, it's, it's not only a no-brainer, it's actually necessary for humanity to be creative, and we do that in partnership with God's Spirit, Yep. Uh, where, and creativity can be music, arts, da- dance, drama, science, maths, technology, te- tech, yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking, you know, f- writing. The list goes on. There is yeah. a there's a vast array of what creativity looks like, and God uses uh, all of hum- all humans, and and He's in, he, God has endowed endowed us with that ability. Yep. And uh, in partnership with God, we can uh, we can rely on the Spirit as as believers to bring that underneath the power of God, bring it underneath the, the will of God and actually do, do something beautiful and wonderful in the world, mm. make the earth look like heaven through our creativity. So I'm just wondering if anyone here and on the panel have had um, instances where maybe somebody has said, oh, God's given me this dream or, you know, I had this vision of something and I'm not sure what it means. Have, have any of you guys had that happen and thought, I'm not sure, but I'm going to ask the Lord to help me maybe explain that to people. Have you guys experienced that? Well, I have. What about you? Amanda? What about you? <laughs> Jeff, what about you? <laughs> no. Um, so, hold on. You're asking if we've, if someone has approached us and asked to interpret a dream. Yeah. No. Or, or, or have you had dreams? Or have I had dreams that I didn't understand? No, no, not that. No. If, if I've been... I have never been asked to interpret a dream from okay. God. Um, I've been asked about, spoken to about different dreams, but not asked to interpret it as no. if it was from God. Yeah. Well, as, as a pastor, I have. I always treat that with great responsibility. I'm not naturally, um, naturally heavily prophetic as a natural wiring in my in my DNA. So I, I treat that with great respect. I don't want to, I don't want to give direction to people. 
Um, and you see this in the Bible, even with Daniel and Joseph. These guys took it very seriously, yeah. the, the interpretation of dreams. So my style is less to be confident that I'm, I'm an, I have the answers and more conversational and help a person work through what might God be trying to say and where yeah. are you at mm-hmm. and do it conversationally. So let's together see if we can discern God's will in this. There are sometimes I'll say, look, you know, if this doesn't make sense, let's just park it because God will... Um, you know, God will confirm his word. Sure. If he wants you to make a major life decision, he's going to confirm, <coughs> excuse me, he's going to confirm the word. So I think that's kind of how I tend to approach this stuff. Rather than doing a thus saith the Lord, I don't <laughs> trust myself well enough um, to be confident to be able to do that. I certainly don't put myself in a Joseph or a Daniel camp. Well, remember Gabriel, the angel Gabriel explained... Daniel's dream to him and Daniel still didn't Daniel understand still didn't it. Understand. So yeah, right. he still went, I'm yeah. so confused and I feel sick about yeah. this. So, right. And he had like the angel come yeah. down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I, I, I think for myself, there's been times, I'm pretty well like you, Rowan, I think that if I'm not feeling it, I won't just make something up. Heaven forbid that Don't I would that, ever no. do that. But, but every now and then, the Holy Spirit will... You know, give me a word for someone or whatever to help explain maybe what they're up to. But you, you just need to be tuned in. Tune into the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit, absolutely. And, and I'll say this often in prophetic. Uh, I, I flow in a prophetic um, gift, even though I'm not naturally prophetic. I, I can sense a gift coming. Sometimes I'll be praying at the altar. Yeah. I always say to the people, the first people I pray for, don't go away. Because you, you usually takes. I find it usually takes me three or four people before the, the, the gift starts to flow. And I always feel bad for the first few people who <laughs> did, didn't really get it. By the end, I've got prophetic words over people's lives. And the poor people at the beginning missed out. So I often say, stay there. I'll come back if I yeah, sense something. Because I realize it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. That's right. Um, but I, I, like you, I'll often say, look, if this doesn't make any sense, I, I, I avoid thus saith the Lord. I just don't have that confidence. So I'll say, look, I'm sensing this. But if that's this... where the power comes from, the thus saith the Lord. I don't believe it does. <laughs> I believe we're in partnership with, with the Holy Spirit. And so I think to treat the Holy Spirit with respect mm. and acknowledge that we are frail human beings. We have this treasure in jars of clay. So I don't think you need to have a thus saith the Lord for it to carry weight with people. Exactly. I think there's a, a sense in which I come with a, pois, a posture of confidence but humility and mm-hmm. say, I, I, I sense this is what the Lord might be saying to me. Does this make sense to you? Mm. And sometimes, more often than not, actually, people will go, yes, or I'll see them start to cry or it'll make sense. Sometimes they'll just go, no, nah, and I'll, I'll go, okay, well, maybe I've missed it or maybe it's just something for you to park for the future. Yeah. And so mm. um, I think that's a that's just my style. I mean, prophets, someone like a Vicky Simpson, who just has a gift as a prophet, she'll just speak to stuff and just call stuff out of people's lives. And I just sit there and go, I've been in meetings where I know the people in the room and I just shake my head and think, man, yeah. this, is, this is incredible. That's a specific gift um, where there's no way she could know that. But that's not my calling, so I'm not going to be that way inclined. Can I share a prophecy? Um, not for, not that I'm getting one for someone right now, but Kenny uh, was had a prophecy. My husband, Kenny, if you're listening, um, before we met, uh, had a prophecy in this room actually that your future wife is in this room, and we're fairly certain that I was in the room at the time. We're fairly certain I was. We worked it out. We have actually recordings on our phones from the prophecies we both received that day and uh, years after we were married maybe yeah many years later we went hold on i know that noise in that background of that recording and we worked out we were in the same room at the same time and we're fairly certain that yeah i was there that day there you go pretty cool example of parking something for a while yeah Yeah, Yeah. exactly like 
Kenny had no idea. I am pretty sure I had a newborn baby here. So, like, yeah, pretty cool um, thing to happen. Anyway, I should just state to you guys listening that Amanda is meaning she is the wife. If you the, not the future wife, not she is. Yes, that's <laughs> correct. The, just to clarify, yeah, just to clarify, I'm the wife now for his just next wife. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is before <laughs> yeah. we met. I'd say that. Did, did, I, did it, I not explain that right? No, I'm so sorry. It's good to clarify. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, so we weren't married this before we met. <laughs> His he future wife was in the room you. and I yeah. happened to be in the room. Years later we met and now we're married. <laughs> well, I mean, from that story, these you can believe in them, but I my worry is that it just seems very manipulative. Yes, absolutely. It can be super manipulative over many people's lives and also people get a prophecy and they go, oh, it hasn't come true 10, 20, 30 years later. So I worry about the human element involved yeah. in the Holy Spirit moment, as you would might yeah. call it. Okay, so he, he, this is worth drilling into because this is a valid fear. Yep. Mm. Um, we, we touched on this in our recording last week, um, which won't be out yet uh, when you're listening to this, um, where we talked about the Urim and Thummim. And you asked me a question mm. around the Urim and Thummim, which were these two basically dice that the priests used to discern the will of God. And you asked me a question <laughs> about how to discern the will of God. And I said, well, my concern is that the way you were posing it, my concern was that they could be used as a, bu- a form of abuse, basically that one person has control and is the mouthpiece of God. And therefore that carries with it um, the ability to abuse and, and, and abuse power. Um, and the whole theology of power is a very real issue. We're seeing that in the Christian large portions of the Christian church at the moment with, with where, where power has been, has been abused and control has been there and, and spiritual abuse. And so with that in mind, I think it's worth uh, having the right posture toward this so that we, we acknowledge the fact that people with, who do represent God do have that power. And it's incumbent upon those of us in positions where we are to some degree a mouthpiece for God we can't shirk away from that. If we're in leadership in a church, or even if you're a parent with children, or you you have influences as a connect group or a small group leader, you do have you do have a power that comes with that. And a, having a good theology of power is important. Acknowledging humility, and acknowledging that you're a frail human, but has been entrusted with a voice to speak on behalf of God. So don't shirk away from that completely, but come at it with a posture of humility so that you don't run that risk of abusing power. And I would add at the same time that um, it's important to train people in how to respond to those who would speak on behalf of power. Don't, Don't, as a preacher, as a teacher, as a prophet, never ever expect everyone to uh, just accept what you say. That's an abuse of power, but also too, Call people to study and weigh up what you say, whether that's a prophetic word or a yep. sermon or whatever. Don't just tell people, oh, we're all on an evil playing field. We are, we are, we're all on an even playing field in the fact that we're all equal before God. But in the structure of a church, the structure of life, God does put people in positions of teachability and teacher and teacher and, sure. and student and pupil and so on. And so I would say to people, if someone speaks to you, uh, weigh it up honestly. Um, be willing to hear from that. Is this God? Come with a posture of, I want to learn. Acts 17.11 says that, talks about the Bereans and it says they had a very noble character because they, they studied the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. I may have touched on this in a podcast somewhere. It didn't say they studied the scriptures to prove Paul wrong. 
says they studied the scriptures to prove Paul right. Mm, There's a difference mm. between the two. There's not a, one's a cynical attitude. One's a, a lean-in attitude that says, I want to trust that my leader, my pastor, my connect group leader has my best interest at heart. I want to trust that God is speaking to me through them, that they are an instrument for the mouth of God. I want to lean into that. All the while I'm aware that they're still a human being and they might only see in part and pray in part and prophesy in part, but I'm not going to be cynical. I'm going to lean in knowing that they have my best interest at heart. And if you're not confident that a person has your a leader has your best interest in heart, then you need to have a conversation with them, because that's when you sh- probably need to consider the possibility of maybe you're not where you should be. Yeah, right. I, I I would add to that that anybody who is in Christ has the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's right. We can all hear. And some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, well, one of the gifts in particular is discernment. Mm. So discernment is you know helping you to understand. If this is, you know, a fair income prophecy from yes. the Lord or not. And one of the other things that he gives us is wisdom. You know, the Bible tells us we can ask for wisdom yep. and the Holy Spirit will give us wisdom. So if we're operating with wisdom and discernment, that's going to go a long way to, you know, if, if Pastor Rowan gives me a prophecy and I'm like, yeah, I'm not real sure about that one. That's, that's because the Holy Spirit's given me a little you know, a bit of a check in my spirit. So, you know. I'm yeah, that's right. You're, you're, yeah. you're leaning in, yeah, but you're also not putting yourself in a position where you're giving that person unnecessary power, Correct. or in my case, giving me power over you, because yes. that is that is where abuse and control, which is what you're referring to, Jeannie, can happen. Um, and it is, a, it is a needle to thread. And I, I think it, it's incumbent on both the, the person with the authority and the power and that representative and the person receiving to both have that right mutual understanding of what that relationship is supposed to be like. Have I? Does that make sense, what Jeff and I have said? Or? Yes, yeah, and I'm also aware of that verse that says, test the spirits, yeah. Yeah. No, plural, mm. spirits, because... James and yeah. John. Yeah. James and John. One of them. And how yeah. can you be it's sure? It's the same name, isn't it? James and John, really? Uh, I don't know. No, I don't think so. And how can you be sure that it is the the Holy Spirit and it is from God? I think the only way we can do that and to exercise that hearing of the Holy Spirit and the discernment and the wisdom is by reading what is and having it written on our heart, like we said last week, reading what is spirit-breathed, and that's the Word of God. Yeah, yeah. yeah and both go tandem. So those that want to dismiss because of risk of of abuse or control will dismiss all aspects of the Holy Spirit. I actually really struggle with people who are purely that way because I think they say, well, I, I didn't read what I get in the Word of God. But but the Word of God, if you're, only, if you're not allowing the Word of God to speak to you in your current circumstance, then it's going to be very empty of power because you go, well, how, can you, how do you know what to apply to your life if it's, you're limiting yourself to the Word of God? Anybody who says, oh, yeah, I, I read this scripture and it applied to my life in this situation, they've taken a step beyond the paper and turned it into revelation in their world anyway. Well, that's the work of the Spirit. Mm. So whether or not people realise they're doing it or not, that's actually what they're doing. Yeah. They are actually in tune with the Spirit of God. Because you can read the same scripture many years later or before, yeah. And it not mean anything to you and then... Or it means something different. Yeah, or it meant something different to you, but it is the Spirit of God that is highlighting it for you in that particular In that particular time for that particular purpose. Now, always weigh it back. Testing the Spirit is weighing it through numbers of things. So um, I'm always conscious of severity of, of 
significance of the direction. So if, if God was telling, you know, here we are sitting in C3 the rule, we, Jill and I felt a prompting to maybe put out that the Spirit might have been speaking to us about, you know, maybe you guys are the ones who should put yourselves forward for speaking on, on this on this issue now we that was a big deal so we sought wisdom on that we neither of us told each other because we thought we'd think it was crazy we waited for a few months and we realized that god had been we'd felt god speaking and then we went to our oversight and we spoke to pastor Stephen deb white and we we said this is what we're feeling and and we went through this whole process because that was a big deal i don't do that when i decide what pants i'm going to wear this morning you know, uh, I'm, I don't worry about the spirit giving me direction on whether or not I should wear my black pants or my yellow pants, pants or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Maybe as long as the, yeah, exactly. Maybe you should have listened maybe, to the spirit. Maybe you should listen to the spirit, yeah. So, you know, I think there is significance of direction. And I think, yeah. and, and, I, and I, what I think it's important to do is to recognise that the discerning of the will of God is a, is a complex process. And yes, mm. some people will say, God told me, and they probably God didn't tell them because it contradicts God's word. Yeah. And as a pastor, yeah. people will come to me and say, God's told me, well, straight away, I can't, even if I disagree, I, I'm straight away, what am I going to argue with? If God's told you, um, I care for you, but hey, you, it's very clear, if you believe God's told you and you're not really coming with wisdom to ask from me as a pastor, there's not much I can say because mm. you've made up your mind. I think with those big God told me moments, I think it's better to come with humility and go, I sense God's telling me this. What do you think? And, and seek, Proverbs says, there is wisdom in the counsel of many witnesses. Yeah. Can so. I just throw a little story in there? Yeah. On the flip side of that, <laughs> I know a woman who, within a couple of weeks of this, of, within a couple of weeks, two separate men told her that God had told them they were going to marry her. Yeah, I've heard of that too. <laughs> you imagine this, the confusion yeah. of this? Two Poor, separate men two that separate don't know people. each other? Uh, no, they knew each other. They did. They did know each other. Yes, they both said <laughs> they, they conversed both. about this. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, test the spirits. I don't think they did, but it wow. was. Yeah, and uh, she went on to marry someone completely Good different. <laughs> Good call. Good move, probably. But th- those things can be super confusing. Well, that's an abuse of power. No, I'm not yeah. saying those two men might not have genuinely believed they heard from God. I'm not saying that they were necessarily being manipulative. They may have. They're hearing something. But th- that's right. Exactly. They, mm. they, may be, they may be genuinely believing the hearing from God. They may, it may be that they're, just, they're not. It's just their own desire that clouds the judgment. It may be that it was something demonic that's speaking to them. That's what I mean by this humility posture that says, I'm sensing this, but I'm, I'm putting this forward for wisdom. And that is how God throughout history has always worked. God has always worked through the counsel of many witnesses. As we talked about this Holy mm. Spirit, Nicene Council, that was, a, that was a group of Christians that got together and thrashed that. Acts 15, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit to put these uh, constraints in place. But that came after a conversation among people who were all together in unity, trying to seek and genuinely discern God's will. And God has always worked in partnership with people. So once we theologically get that, I think it's perfectly fine to come to it and go, I believe that I'm go- I believe I have um, a gift to pray for people, to speak into their world, to be that mouthpiece of God. And I don't want to limit that because I might be something that supernatural encounter with God might be just what they need. So I'll give you an example. Um, I won't name the situation out of confidentiality, but but I was preaching um, via video here at the Rule because Jill was sick a week a week ago, and uh, we talk about this scripture in in in. Um, 
Exodus 35, the Spirit of God. Well, I, I, I quoted this scripture in Exodus 35, and literally I was doing this sermon late on the Saturday night because Jill wasn't going to be well enough to be here in the morning. And I nearly, because the, oh, the message has gone too long, I nearly edited out this scripture out of Exodus 35. I'm glad I didn't because last week I heard from somebody who said that passage in Exodus 35 spoke to them specifically about a significant change in the direction of their life. And it was a confirmation to them about a significant change of direction. Mm. So the spirit was working through what I was saying, even when I wasn't aware of it. And so, you weren't meant to preach. And I wasn't even meant to preach. That, That's so that good. Word. I love that. And this that. is a God significant positive change of direction for this person. <laughs> mm. So, um, and that's not to pat myself on the back. That's to say, no. I'm in partnership. The Holy Spirit We're in partnership with the pat, the pat the Holy Spirit. <laughs> We're in partnership with the Spirit of God, and He will use hearts that are disposed toward Him to speak prophetically into people's worlds. And it's got nothing. Mm. That was an example to me to go, man. I was so close to just click and delete on that section because the message went too long, and I just felt like, nah, I'll leave it in. It'll be all right. It's an extra five minutes. It'll be okay. It's that five minutes has been an encouragement to that person, yeah, in a significant way. I don't doubt that the Spirit of God causes prophecy, mm. not for a second. Um, can I just read to you, I think it's one of the first times we hear this idea of prophecy in um, yeah. Numbers. Uh, you can clarify, uh, confirm if it's the first or second time. Uh, this is Moses. Um, Moses went out and reported the Lord's words to the people. He gathered, gathered the 70 elders and stationed them around the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses. Then he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was upon Moses. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But this never happened again. Two men, Eldad and Madad, had stayed behind in the camp and they were listed among the elders, but they had not gone out to the tabernacle. Yet the spirit rested upon them as well. So they prophesied here in the camp. And a young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since his youth, make protested, Moses, my master, make them stop. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Did you hear that? I wish that the Lord's people were all, all prophets, prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. <laughs> Oh, I Amanda, love that. No, 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 no. I was just oh, no. going to say I love that. I love okay. this. I, lo I like this story. Keep going. Well, that's the end of the story. That's but the end I, of the story. Just, <laughs> I just wanted to point out that um, the Spirit of God was, seems to come upon people for a limited time um, in the Old Testament. Yes, correct. And you've talked <laughs> a lot of things here, which are actually New, New Testament, Testament, when we mm. know that the Spirit. Thank you for keeping us on track, Gina. Yeah, yes, it, it's, it's great. Point. The Old Testament, yeah. it would appear. The Spirit was for specific times, specific, specific purposes people. on specific people. Yes. Like the major and minor prophets yeah. and these people. The um, kings, the priests and the prophets. Yeah, and mm. in limited and often we see it, uh, he provides strength for people. He provides prophecy at this time and um, wisdom and, and craftiness. That's a whole yeah. rabbit hole too about prophecy. Craftiness. They prophesy craftiness. Yeah, craftiness. they prof so they prophesy creativity. 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 Yeah. They prophesied actually. That's a rabbit hole we won't go down right now, but something tangible was happening to them that um, was noticeable to other people in the camp. Don't you think it looks very similar? It paints a very similar picture to the 
Day of Pentecost? Yes. Like where the fire, there's no fire, but there was just, the cloud is very similar. Like, I don't know, it just seems Mm. like. One time Saul, have you got Saul's prophecy in your notes? I might have. I don't know. Saul prophesied. Okay, Saul (laughs) prophesied and it said he stripped off his clothes and lay that way all day. Something weird's going on there when he's prophesying (laughs) and he's laying on the floor half naked. Oh, wow. Wow. So the, the the word prophecy there has it's um, I haven't done my research on this recently, but it actually means an ecstatic declaration or something something loud ecstatic out there is taking place. So you point on it's similar to Acts two. I think it is. I think Old Testament these prophecies this is some kind of ecstatic, um, almost weird thing that's happening to them. Um, that we should we shouldn't just gloss over that. This isn't this isn't prophesying in the sense of foretelling. This we think of prophecy as foretelling the future. That's actually a very very mm. small part of what a prophecy is. Yeah, prophecy is a, a, a touchdown point of heaven and earth. Something something significant is happening in that moment where they are encountering something of heaven and it's having a, an effect on their body. And this is important to know because. This might help you to think if you're if you're listening to this and you're struggling with some of the supernatural stuff, or you use the term someone used the term slain in the spirit before. Um, that would be me. That would be you, right? And look, I think that's a we- weird term. I know it's a traditional Pentecostal term. I never liked it, to be honest, but mainly because it just seems like it seems like the Holy Spirit's killing us. So that doesn't seem <laughs> that's what the word slain. Does it is. refer to things like you know rolling on the floor laughing? Well, it actually refers to traditionally it refers to falling over, right? Here's I just want to naturalize. naturalize Naturalize it. Take a supernatural component. Normalize it a little bit, right? Yeah, sometimes people do. I've fallen over. Sometimes people will fall over or shake or whatever. The Holy Spirit is a powerful force. Uh, the Holy the Holy Spirit is a powerful being. Um, if I get a two forty volt shock, I'm going to zap and shake around a little bit. I've done it many times. I was a photocopier technician. This I've had way too. It is getting weird. a little bit weird now, but I want to normalize it a little bit and I'm just help you to understand that we just read about these prophesying, Eldad and Medad prophesying in the camp. Something ecstatic was happening. In some way, they were in touch with the supernatural power of God and something supernatural happened. Whether they were shaking or yelling or whatever, you need to realise this is part of the fact Joshua was a bit upset about. He wasn't upset about the fact they were prophesying. He was upset about the fact that God would allow two people who were disobedient and didn't go on the mountain when they should have been to get the same blessing. It's not that he was frightened about the supernatural component. Our Western mindset is frightened about the supernatural component. But if we're having this conversation with a bunch of African pastors at the table, they totally get this because they live in a supernatural realm. It's, mm. they'd just be, they wouldn't even be asking these questions. But we ask these questions because we live in a Western mindset. So even if we can rationalise that a bit and go, this is a supernatural, all-powerful being that's far more powerful than 240 volts in a PowerPoint and has good things in store for us, but if I can access a supernatural power that will flow through me, that will transform my life, then why would I not want that? Because it'll be for good, not for bad. Where did the Western world go wrong? Or what's the difference between the Western world? I don't think the Western world went wrong, but in the Enlightenment period, in the 17th, 16th, 17th, 17th, 18th century, we started to think that once we had enough science, we wouldn't need God anymore. That's really? basic, yeah. But the the, the enlightening enlightenment was this belief that we human knowledge would continue to increase to the point where we would not need an, a belief in a supernatural being because um, all things could be discovered, 
through science. I should state though, those people, the early scientists, if you want to call them that, were actually doing it for the glory of God. They were doing it to find Certainly Newton God and those, yeah, his, those guys were, yeah, yeah. In his creation. Yeah. yeah. That's, mm. yeah. that's what started. That's how, that's how it started. And then it developed into this thing, this belief that we, we wouldn't need God. They weren't and that, trying to disprove God. They were looking for him. They were looking for God. That's, that's how it began, yeah. Mm. But somewhere in that process, it changed. And almost this People belief that human, 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 humanity and human nature would develop to the point where we would achieve absolute goodness and we would live at peace and all that sort of stuff. Well, the 20th century, <laughs> more people died at the hands of um, atheist belief than, mm. than religious belief right. during the 20th century. So something hasn't worked. And so that's your question, well, where did it come from? In the Western world, that's where it came from. Um, and we do honestly, if we're, re you know, Jeannie's questions are valid. If most of us, and I'm, I consider myself a, an amateur scientist, I love science. So I have to, I have to make a conscious decision to not let my scientific endeavours quench my belief in a supernatural God. Mm. But at the same time, I don't want to then quench my desire to discover science because I believe in a supernatural God. I think it's just putting them in the right realms. Theology and philosophy in one realm, science and knowledge in another, and realise that they don't necessarily need to um, contradict each other. And I, that's how I re recognise it. So I'm quite comfortable with a supernatural God empowering me and praying, receiving prayer and shaking in the power of God and doing some weird stuff. But I would expect that if that happens, I will then go out empowered by the spirit to do natural life and bring God into other people's lives and in my own life. If it's all just me experiencing the power and, and getting a, the feels and nothing's changing, I'm not, mm. not treating my wife or my kids or my church any better, then I've, I've missed the point of the empowering of God's spirit. Mm. Thoughts? <laughs> I was just going to say, add to that, I think God is the ultimate scientist and he shows his creativity through science yes if we want to put all of that like if you the more you research trees for example we've had this conversation before the more you research trees the more you find out this amazing it's scientific but it's also supernatural the way trees talk to each other yeah, yeah. god is so creative yeah. he he thought of that yes, you know he right. came up with that yeah, it, right, and yeah. i think the more if you come at science from that perspective you can actually see have God. the wonder of creation. The yeah. wonder of creation. And, and, and recognise that is, a, that is a belief structure you're bringing to your science. And that's totally fine. We all, whether you come with an atheist view or a theistic view, you will bring faith to anything you do in life. You'll bring, you'll bring an aspect of faith. Mm. You have a worldview. Just acknowledge yeah. that. Mm. But my worldview, comfortably theologically, allows me to experience and believe in the supernatural power of God. Mm. Uh, that God is intimately involved in my world. That sometimes God does weird things, but they're always for good reasons. Can I just bring your attention to something Go really supernatural and really weird in the Bible? Yeah. Well, there's lots of those moments. But uh, this particular one in Numbers 24, yep, uh, we one? see, we've, we've said before, the Spirit of God comes upon people. And here the Spirit of God is given to somebody called Balaam. Oh, yeah, Balaam. Balaam. Yep. And okay. if you know the story, mm -hmm. well, you know, yeah. but if you don't know this story, hold on, because it's crazy. In Numbers 24, by now Balaam, who was a prophet, um, we, they also call him a wicked prophet for reasons in a minute. But by now, Balaam realized that the Lord was determined to bless Israel. So before this, um, Balaam has been asked to 
been asked to curse to curse Israel. Israel That's by, right by the uh, Moabite king. But he Later. has refused to sort of do so. So um, Balaam realized that the Lord was going to de- has determined to bless Israel. So he did not resort to divination as before. Instead, he turned and looked out towards the wilderness where he saw the people of Israel camped tribe by tribe. Then the spirit of God came upon him. And this is the message he delivered. Where is the message? Oh, no, I, <laughs> I deleted don't do that part. Don't do no, it, no. The, del- the message Wrong is about basically in. blessing. Yes. Upon uh, uh, There's about two or, different, two or three different times where he pronounces blessing. I'm not sure which exactly one, one is, but he, he, no, nothing is in store for Jacob. No, Here it is. no evil. You found I've got it? it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the mes- this is the message of Balaam, son of Beor. The one who sees clearly or something. Yeah, the, man of the, me- the message of the man whose eyes see clearly. The message of one who hears the words of God, who, is knowledge- who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty and bows down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. So here, this is the first time we hear a prophecy about the Messiah. Mm-hmm. But I did want to state the weird moment about this was that Balaam's donkey talks to him. Yep. Right? Yep. So Balaam's donkey doesn't do what he wants. He's trying to kick the donkey on to go to this place. And the donkey, ba- what does the donkey say, Rowan? The donkey says, why are you beating me these three times? <laughs> Basically, why have you been beating me? That's what the donkey says. Yeah. So that's a really weird supernatural moment yep absolutely but, but out of that uh we have this amazing first prof one of, it is the first prophecy of the messiah uh, i think it's the first direct prophecy uh no it's not the first prophecy of the messiah because abraham oh, kind well, of no, okay. yeah, yeah right jacob prophesied adam god prophesied but yes it's a direct prophecy it, it's one of it's in, it's one one of the earlier prophecies i'll say that Yes, it, and it's given by a vision. It's a vision yes, it's by a the vision. Spirit. But he is not a believer in a sense. He's no, it would appear he's some kind of pagan prophet. Yeah. So the, the Spirit of God comes upon a wicked prophet. Mm. What do you think about that, Jeff? You, yeah, let Jeff oh, answer a tough well, theological guess, question for a change. Maybe there was no good prophets around at the time. So God just used... A prophet? I I don't really know. So he comes upon a wicked prophet. The Spirit of God comes upon a wicked. Wicked because he eventually goes and sells out Israel, right? He does. He can't prophesy about them. So he basically convinces them to sleep with the other women and corrupts them and does all kind of other stuff. Yeah. But he blesses them three times. Yes. I think it's God works all things for good and he can use anyone and anything and his spirit is all powerful. So if he wants blessing to come on Israel three times, he's going to make it happen. Yes, this person, a human being, is still imperfect, which we all are. We're all imperfect people. But the spirit of God can still use him to be his mouthpiece. Mm. Is that... A simple, simple, this is with a question mark next to it, by the way. They're all questions here. They're all questions. Huge question mark no, next to it. No, it's kind of how I, I think God uses a lot of people who aren't perfect. Turn right? out to be terrible. Yeah, that, that, that's right. Sometimes the people themselves are, are wicked. Sometimes they just continually choose their own way and eventually, 
you know, yeah. it shows up, the character flaws or whatever. I'd like to know what that wicked word actually means. Like, well, is it, it doesn't. Translated? It doesn't say he's wicked. That's is, is that in the text or in no, the title? No, I don't think it's in the text. Well, it's in what I read. He's not a false prophet. He's just a wicked prophet. He obviously has these these visions, yeah. but he does bad. So what we don't know about Balaam is was he, because this is, it says he was a prophet of the Lord. So you have to think he was a prophet of Yahweh. But yet Yahweh hasn't revealed himself really in any great pattern other than to the Israelites. This guy's from a, another, another nation. Mm. He's from another nation quite a way away from the Israelites. Mm-hmm. And, and Balak, the king of Moab, calls on him and says, oh, come, come, I'll pay you to curse these people. So he has got some relationship with God. Uh, with Yahweh, we don't know what that looks like. I think it's beyond the beyond the nature of the text to describe whether or not he was, whether he was regularly a worshipper of God who was selfish, or whether he just worshipped other pagan gods and somehow he arrest he got an understanding of who Yahweh was through that process. That's beyond mm. the text. But your point, I think, is the way to go. That somehow, regardless of who this guy was or what his worship was, the spirit of God came upon him to fulfill his purpose of blessing mm. the Israelites. And he, and he did go astray. He ultimately lost his life because they had to kill him because even though he couldn't, he couldn't uh, do what he wanted to do, he, you know, he, he said, I can only do what the, the Lord my God tells me. And Balak wanted him to curse and he couldn't. He said, I have to do what the Spirit tells me. But he found another way around it. And he did, he did kind of deceive the Israelites into pagan worship through other means. When you say he couldn't curse, he said that. Does that mean, like, how powerful was this guy? Did he yeah, have the, the power of blessing and cursing himself? Like, did, did the Lord have? No, Balaam. Balaam. Yeah, well, a pagan, they would have had a very deep belief. I mean, the, a king does not turn up to someone and send a bunch of servants yeah. to say, hey, I'll pay you big bucks. Go and curse them. Go and curse them. This guy had a reputation for being a very powerful spiritual yeah. being. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and that's probably another subject. Well, it, I think it's, it's a good example of understanding how you know we talk about things being discovered and understood progressively. Yeah. Mm. This is an example. We've got to make sure that we're not in, we're not just filtering it through our twenty first century understanding of the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit works because it's a different understanding back. Mm. We're talking about fourteen hundred BC here, so okay. they do have a more well a different view of the spirit's work it's still in process so let's just yeah. be aware of that and be comfortable with that yeah, yeah. i guess they that back then they thought everything that good happened because the gods smiled upon you that's correct everything bad mm-hmm. was the gods the cursing god's cursing you. you that's correct so well what about i mean we could this is another perspective we could think that maybe balaam was like a, a psychic or you know someone like that who actually uses this gift that he's got to speak to the hit and hear from the spirits yeah. to yeah. trick people into pagan worship or to guide them in the wrong direction. And maybe that's what it's actually referring to there, that this is this reputation that this guy's got already. But again, like I said before, God still can come upon him and use him as a mouthpiece yep. no matter who he is. Yep, I think yeah? that's, yeah. Yeah, and I just went back to read Numbers 23, uh, Sorry, Numbers 22, verse 21, verses from 21. Balaam has been called by the the Moabite king king, to come and 
curse Israel. And Balaam got up in the morning, this is the donkey part, saddled his donkey and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. (coughs) Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were there. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. And then Balaam has this conversation with well, the angel, of the, Lord, angel sorry, of the Lord, sorry, yeah. Uh, the donkey sees the angel of the Lord. Balaam doesn't, right? Yeah, that's right. Balaam doesn't. Yeah, and then he speaks to the donkey. Yes. Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I not been in the habit of doing this to you? That's really strange. Ba- <laughs> you've strange made a conversation. Th- yeah, it is. Balaam says to the donkey, <laughs> you've made a, a fool work. of me. If only I had a <laughs> sword in my right. hand, I would kill you right now. And then the donkey said to Balaam, Oh, am I? Does it actually? Oh, am I? Oh, what's your I've got a cough. Don't make me laugh. Oh, you have always written to this day. Have I been in the habit of doing this? No, he said. <laughs> then the angel of the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. <laughs> oh, <that's awesome. laughs> oh, what version is that? <laughs> it's the uh, Winnie the Pooh version. Angel of the Lord, why have you? Or the Shrek version. It's a really strange, strange moment, but this is a supernatural moment in the Bible where not only the angel of the Lord turns up, but the spirit of God. (laughs) Donkey. (laughs) So up until the donkey talks, though, I thought, you know, there's been moments where, you know, a dog has barked at nothing and you're like, what are you barking at? And you think, I wonder if... You know, you know. I wonder. Don, so it kind of seems believable up until that point, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. But God was definitely using this man in his own way. Yes. Uh, even though yes. he knows uh, that he's going to sell out his his Israelites, mm. God still chooses this man to actually be a blessing to them in this moment and to prophesy about yeah. things ahead. So the Spirit of God uses people that all different kinds of people as you were sort of saying amanda before mm. he's, a, he's a specific person for a specific time at a specific place yeah. yeah and it wasn't even someone whose heart was necessarily poised for god but yet god is still working out his his will in and through human beings and some for some some willingly and some unwillingly yeah uh, paul picks up on this he says you know he talks about pharaoh and he says uh, he says, you know, God says, I made you an instrument for this time, a raised drop for this time. So there's a sense in which even stubbornness, people who refuse to be used by God can mm. still be used by God. Yeah. God works all things for good. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So I'm going to have a donkey in my mind now. <laughs> yeah. And look, let me just call it out while Jenny finds her notes. No. This story's weird, right? It, it is. Uh, this is one of those weird stories that that's up there with, Jonah in a fish and all that kind of stuff, and and so um, I'll I'll say what I've said a few times. I tend to think this this one I tend to think is it's, it's I have no qualms whatsoever with thinking that that was a absolutely supernatural event. I'm just talking about it. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, a supernatural God, and that this that that somehow God spoke through a donkey. As weird as that sounds, I have no qualms with that. But I also equally would not be concerned if this was a fable. If that component of it was a fable, it does not change my ability to the believe in the supernatural the power of God. The, yeah. the purpose behind it, mm. the point does not change whether or not it's a literal event or not. And I'm, I've said this a couple of times on the podcast because I want to yeah. want to straddle the fence. 
Some people are very fiercely literal and even the acknowledgement that maybe it's not can be challenging to them. But I'm also aware there are lots of people listening who would struggle with the fact that they read everything and go, how is that possible? And I would say to you, the supernatural aspect of the story of God, the resurrection of Christ, that is not contingent on whether or not you believe that Balaam spoke to a donkey or whether that was a fable that was then brought yeah. into the story. And I, I say it from both perspectives um, because the, the method, sorry, the, the not the word, the method, this is my foggy head speaking here, the point being made behind the scene does not change, that God was using people to extend his blessing upon the nation of Israel. Okay, so um, I'm just, for those that are there thinking this just seems weird, this is one of those moments, it's all too hard, I'm going to put the Bible down. Don't put the Bible down. This, is, this does not change the supernatural power of God working. Mm. I must admit, when I first read that story as a young fella, I loved it. Um, I'm probably more of a, uh, a literal, you are more sort of a literal person. side. Yep. I quite, I'm quite happy to believe that if God can create something out of nothing, he can That's do right. anything. Yep. But as a young fellow, I remember thinking, well, if God can use that donkey... He can use me. You know, I'll, <laughs> I'll give it a go. Good on you. So, <laughs> good on you, Jeff. So, but, but that just shows how we, we can all get different things out yes, of the same scripture, right. can't yeah. we? You know, yeah. At different times. And I've actually said it to people, God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you. Yeah, yeah. Or me. Yeah, exactly. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's right. That's nothing wrong. at all. Yeah. Nothing. And the Holy Spirit is a gift for everyone now. So back then, it was, you know, it seemed to be chosen people at chosen times. But now, where the gift of the Holy Spirit is for everyone, no matter what you have done or no matter what you uh, will do or thought or no matter how low you think of yourself, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So, yeah, Ooh, all man. true, but you're completely jumping ahead of me, Amanda. Sorry. That's great what you said. <laughs> well, you I'm just it. trying to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. So just to go back a little bit, we've seen that the Spirit of God gives wisdom, ability, and expertise, that God's Spirit also interprets dreams, and that the Spirit of God in the Old Testament is limited in quantity, and it's sort of only given to certain people at certain times. And I really noticed some of the language about this, that the Spirit of God like, comes upon people or it comes powerfully upon people or it is given to people. And even here um, in Samson, the Spirit clothed... In the, sorry, in the judge, in, um, Judges, the Spirit clothed a person. And in Samson, we hear that the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. And then later on, we hear moments that um, there, it's, the Spirit of God provides strength in battle and um, with data, with Samson particularly came the spirit of God comes powerfully upon people so you can see the shift in language and I think the shift in language is sort of well do you see a relevance there that there's sort of it's the spirit of God is changing a little bit at how it's playing out throughout the Old Testament and particularly when I came across David King David where we see now, we read the words, the Spirit of the Lord speaks through. So we've gone from upon, gifted to, to speaking through. Can you see a difference? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think this is maybe a good example of progressive revelation. Exactly what we're yeah. talking about is that I'm not saying that God has changed. God's the same yesterday, today and forever, but human understanding is growing 
over time and their understanding of how the spirit relates to them is probably developing over time. It's de yeah, developing and we're understanding it. And this is also um, the first time I think the spirit is called the Holy Spirit, right? Where is that, David? Uh, in Psalm 51, Psalm 51 Psalm verse 11, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Before that, it's been Spirit of God, Spirit of the Lord, and now we have this idea of this Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It's changing, but it's still there. Yeah. It's always been there. And we also have this part. Um, I actually have, don't know why I've deleted or not added the actual verse on this one, but this, this is what it says. These are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, speaks. David, the man who was raised up so high. David, the man anointed by the God of Israel. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of, Lord, of the Lord speaks through me. His words are upon my tongue. There's a revelation. We're learning more about the Spirit. Mm. Have you thought this before? Have you noticed this before? I can't say I've noticed it, no. But the, the connotations of those words, they, con they conjure up different pictures in your mind, don't they? The coming upon sort of, it's almost like the Spirit takes over mm -hmm. or something. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the kind of the thing that I think about yeah. when I think of come upon. And then speaking through is, mu is much more... Partnership language. Yeah, well, it is. The spirit lives more in a, me. Yes. Yeah, more of a gentle sort of a, yeah. an act. I don't know if that's right or not, but that's what I think. Yeah, I think it's great. Oh, it's a good thought. Good and thoughts. Yeah, and what I really notice is in the Old Testament, as I said, limited. But then when you come into this New Testament, um, there's this sort of explosion of the discussion of this Holy Spirit. Jesus talks yes. about this Something new advocate. Changes, John the Baptist said, "You, um, what was that verse I heard you talk about? Uh, the, the, the whole, John the Baptist said, probably in John 3, he said, I myself would not have known him except the one who sent me told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain, he is the one. So that was significant to John the Baptist. He knew he was the predecessor for, for the Messiah. But he saw and witnessed the spirit at Jesus' baptism come down and stay on him. That, the key word is remain there. Remember, we've talked about specific times, specific place, specific purposes. Mm. Uh, John also says, I think it says, on, on Jesus, the spirit was given without measure. You mentioned measured before. So the New Testament transformation is permanence as opposed to temporal. It's uh, measureless mm. as opposed to measured. And I think that's... That's a significant shift in what is happening um, on Jesus and then upon his followers compared to the Spirit's working, or their, at least their understanding of the Spirit's working in the Old Testament. I, I tend to think it's more than their understanding. I think it's part of the way God worked in the world, is that uh, the New, New Testament Christianity is, um, a, is, is not a specific purpose, specific place, specific time. It is actually supposed to be... Uh, God's Spirit working in a, in a measureless way upon his people. Mm. And if I'm not uh, incorrect, that uh, John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit while he was still in his mother's yes. womb. Yes, he was. So I, and, and he seems to still be full of the Spirit when Jesus comes along. So I guess we can assume that he's been full of the Spirit for his whole life. Yes, that's a good, yeah. good call. Yep. And this is 
the spirit, what we've just been talking about, but as you just said, Rowan, there's a marked difference between the spirit in the Old Testament to the New Testament. And this is what I really want to talk about because we're living in this New Testament. We're in the New Testament In the New Testament world. And you've talked about, you've had dreams (coughs) or you've had prophecies and, and things like that. And I, it's all kind of new to me. You know, I've been here at this church for a while that it's, just understanding the Holy Spirit is something new. I'm seeking, I'm trying to find You're answers. Very hungry. I'm hungry, but it's still mm. just, I'll get confused. So let's quickly go through the timeline, Pastor Rowan. So John the Baptist preaches and Jesus comes, the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus at his baptism and appears in like a dove. Mm-hmm. And in the form of a dove. In the form of a dove. Not and as a dove, but in... In the form of a dove. That's the key word. That's the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. So we have the Holy Spirit, we have Jesus in that moment, and we also have the Father God yes. voice. So we have the Trinity in we that have the Trinity. That's one of the fundamental Ooh. evidences of Trinity. Exactly, yes. at Jesus' baptism. <laughs> Coupled with Acts 10.38, where Paul says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, and he went around doing good. That's Paul's commentary on what we saw at the baptism. God anointed the Son with the Spirit. Yep. Or God anointed himself with himself is basically what it's saying. <laughs> God anointed himself so with himself. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus has this uh, terrific ministry, as we know, lots of healings, and he's in communication and connection with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And towards the end of his ministry, Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to give you something to help you, somebody, an advocate or a helper to help you, of which we don't really know. And if you go back, if they look at the scriptures, they're not actually going to understand no. what this is. This is no. a new this idea. Is, this, this is, is a, yeah, they'll have some developed embryonic understanding, but not in its fully fleshed out. Cross puns there, but for for a spirit, <laughs> fully um, understood perspective. Well, they would get visions, dreams, yep. prophesying, power, speaking through me. Yes, that's through, there. Uh, what King David writes. Yep. Creativity. Creativity. Yep, that's mm-hmm. right. So why does this Pentecostal church believe it's something more than those things? Right. I think the reason we believe it is because you see that's how the Spirit works in the New Testament. Not that the Spirit doesn't work in those other ways that we've read about in the Old Testament. The Spirit does work in those ways. It's just a loud banging outside somewhere. The Spirit does work in those ways, but the outworking of the Spirit through the New Testament teaching is that the Spirit's work is through supernatural signs, wonders, and miracles. In fact, I'm not going to be able to find the scripture, but it says, um, I misquoted, it says, uh, the Lord was attested to you by signs, wonders, and miracles, or something like that. So, so it's the outworking of the Spirit it, through the life of Jesus doing supernatural signs and wonders and miracles, which is evidence of what God is doing. That coupled with the New Testament teaching and the apostle, all the apostles doing supernatural signs following on from Jesus. Uh, Amanda, we talked about Mark 16 and all those crazy different versions at the end of Mark mm. 16 there. And one of those versions is, in my name, they will drive out demons. They will do all these things supernatural. Mm. They will speak in new tongues. It's all in one of the longer endings to Mark 16. So there's this understanding that's a normal part of church life, New, new Testament Christian life. And I don't think even, even those that don't believe in the supernatural gifts of the Spirit today, they won't question that that's how the Holy Spirit worked. They just question that that's how the Holy Spirit still works. And that's, that's the fundamental difference. Does the Spirit still do now what the Spirit did in the New Testament? I'd be very hard-pressed to find any 
any other than the most extreme liberal scholars who just refuse to accept anything supernatural and try to reason away all the supernatural works of Jesus as just you know delusions yeah, fables, uh, like fables. yeah exactly mm. um, other than those that, that take that perspective most scholars will go no this was supernatural so the question is do we still believe that happens today so the answer to that is yes I believe there is strong theological evidence that that still happens today the, the Bible is very clear on that um, but you know I'm I'm rattling now, so I can give but some well, scripture for example, examples of that. If we want to touch on speaking in tongues again, some of us, a lot of people speak in tongues. It's not something that you just make up. It's not just right. gibberish that's coming out of my mouth. Um, it is it is a language that is gifted to me. I don't understand it when I'm speaking in tongues because I'm not interpreting my own tongues all the time. However, if that gift and that supernatural thing can happen today, why can't the rest of it? Right. So if there's one, all the rest have to come with it too. It doesn't say that we only get one of them to last until mm -hmm. Jesus comes back, right? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of people have a prop that's the tongues one they get hung up on, actually. It's the most controversial. It's the most, most controversial sure. one. Well, a lot of people will go, oh, yeah, I believe God can do healing. But I'm not sure about the tongues thing. So it's the opposite of what you're saying. Yeah, see, well, uh, I know. As a Pentecostal, so see, but I know that as a six-year-old, if we want to rewind yeah. back to my story from before, a six-year-old, yes, can make up lots of things. But that moment, I remember that moment very clearly. Yes. And there is no way that I just made that up. Yeah. There is absolutely no way. And... I know that it's just you're just taking my story as face value here. However, I know in my heart that that's something that changed the course of my life forever right. and I could not have made that up. You're a bit like the blind man that said, oh, whether he's a messiah or not, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. Your own right. personal experience is mm. significant for you. Absolutely. Mm. Jeff, are you going to say something there? Well, yeah, just you got me thinking about charlatans, you know, in the church. We've probably seen plenty of them over the years. And, you know, I've seen when we're talking about being slain in the spirit or falling over under the power of the Holy Spirit, I've been in meetings where the the person giving the message has been, you know... Pushing. Pushing people. I've, I've sat in this room <laughs> and seen mm. someone pushed right up to the back wall of the church... And he didn't fall over because he, wasn't, he wasn't gonna, gonna fall, fall over, over unless the Holy Spirit did it. Right. And I've had people do that to me as well, and, and I've been the same. But I've had other instances where the the person praying for me has it, it just not even touched me, just come near me and I've just collapsed to the ground under the power of the Holy Spirit and it's been <coughs> a time in my life where the, if there was ever any doubt that God is real, that doubt was just taken mm. completely away. And I'll never forget one time in particular. And if ever the devil puts any seed of doubt in my mind, I think, no, that happened to me. So you've experienced... So that's, I know it happened So that experience me. there is what is similar to what Amanda's mm. describing Yeah, there. exactly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's right. funny that you say bring that up because I... I am 35 years old and I've been a Christian pretty much my entire life 
And I've never, ever fallen over. I've yeah. had people pray over me. I've had people push me. But I have never fallen over. And I've always thought, oh, I wonder what that feels like. My dad is the same. He's never... Oh, I think he did once when he had cancer. But I'm pretty sure he was just very sick and dizzy. Yeah. Um, and he he told us that too. Yeah. By the time Lisa Lockett fell over, she tells us a story about how she's playing keys as a teenager up here on this stage. <laughs> and she fell over. But because she'd ridden her bike all the way to church and she hadn't drank any water and <laughs> she was playing from early in the morning and she fell over and everyone just thought she'd fallen under the power of the Hallelujah. spirit. She was deeply dehydrated <laughs> and needed a glass of water <laughs> and she just fainted. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's a bit like that. It can happen. It is. It is. It is. My dad was in a crowd of people at a big Pentecostal conference type thing and everyone in the whole, like, so he was standing on the, like, on the everyone floor, everyone fell over and he opened his eyes and he looked around and everyone had fallen over except for him. So, so let, me just, <laughs> let me just use those examples for mm. people who've experienced this. <coughs> Whether you fall over or not, so I, I'm now going to talk not to the, those that are maybe more sceptical, I'm going I'm to talk to those who feel like they're a second-class Christian because they don't fall over. I've met plenty mm. of those that go, oh, God didn't move in my life because I didn't fall over. Mm-hmm. I would say to you, God moving in your life is not contingent on whether you fall down or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, That's that, that may happen or may not happen, but that does not mean that God works, is or isn't working in your life. It's not mm. a sign of some kind of confirmation of extreme spirituality because you did fall over or didn't fall over. Yeah. That's right. Agreed. That's right. Can I just bring you back to the word here? Yes, do that. Uh, because if you're listening to this and you have no idea what they're talking about, they're describing something, as I mentioned the word explosion before, an explosion of the spirit which happens after Pentecost. And I'll just walk you through leading up to Pentecost, just a few little verses in the Bible. Um, in Luke 4, this is just mentions of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness later on in in chapter 10 at that time Jesus full of joy through the Holy Spirit said I praise you Father Lord of heaven because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children in Luke 11 (coughs) if you then if you then though you are evil know of good gifts to give your children how much more will your father give father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him Mm. Luke 12 and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. That's the scary verse. Luke 12, <laughs> for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. John 1:33. Um, I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit came, came on, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. The one? John 14. Mm. But the but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. When the advocate comes in John 15, I will send to you, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. He will testify about me. John 20. And with that, oh, this is exciting. When Jesus has been resurrected, he returns to visit his uh, disciples and he's tells them three times peace be with you and then he breathes on them the ruach the spirit of god and he says to them receive the holy spirit jumping to acts until that day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the holy spirit to the apostles he had chosen acts 1 5 for john baptized with water in a few days you'll be baptized with the holy spirit 
Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.16. Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. Acts 2.1, here we have, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together at one place, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Acts 2.3.3, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the power from the Father the, whole, the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see and hear. Acts 2.3.8, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke to the people all around. And you spoke to the, by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And after, Acts 4, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So this is, it, it continues on, but the point I'm trying to make is it's, this is building up. It seems like the New Testament is building up. There's a crescendo to this yep. Holy Spirit who appears on the day of Pentecost as a, a little flame above their heads. And if you've been, if you know anything about fire in the Bible, it's pretty significant. God appears in fire multiple times and he's represented, I suppose, the Holy Spirit is represented by fire. Fire appears in the tabernacle, doesn't appear in the temple actually. But uh, here it appears as a, above their heads, as sort of a symbolism that the Holy Spirit is within us. <clears throat> so this is a huge shift. The Holy Spirit, the Old Testament came upon them, all that stuff we said, and now it's upon us. At no point do I read, you will fall down flat yeah, correct. and yeah. die, okay? <laughs> I don't read it in any of them. No. I don't see anybody falling over. Um, and when they're speaking in tongues, uh, people are understanding them in their own languages uh, only once language, only once they're understanding them in this own language so what you're all talking about here is something i'm very unfamiliar with which yep. is the idea of this baptism of the spirit yep. which can result in people falling over in the moment and people speaking a spiritual language which is what Amanda and you've all said as the speaking in tongues right mm -hmm. so just trying to bring people yep. up to speed up so to speed. Fill me in. What have I missed? How does it how does it manifest in this way that I don't really see in these verses? Yep. Sure. Do you want me to have a crack at that, or is um, yeah, a well, long the... monologue to bring you up? So, no, that's excellent. That's what really part are you missing? Are we still on the are they the falling over? The falling over, or is it the baptism? Um, the baptism. Yeah. Or that it's still happening today. Is well, that, that I think it's still on that part. All of those above. I just wanted. So basically, somebody described to me what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Go ahead, Roland. <laughs> all right. So I'll have a crack. Um, so you know, I talked about cessationists before and the belief that the gifts have ceased. So a, a purely cessationist view says that there is no difference between being born of the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit or baptised in the Spirit. So at the point of conversion, a person is baptised in the Spirit. That's the, the doctrine. Of Where, cessationist. Of a cessationist. Right, okay. okay that it all so you don't have to do anything. You're not going underwater. You're not like... doing anything other than salvation. The point of conversion... That's the baptism. That's the baptism. Not according to the cessationist. According view. to oh, a okay. no. According. Mm. Keep going. <coughs> according to a cessationist view, that is the point of baptism in the spirit. Those who don't believe in the 
in a sub subsequent view. So a an official Pentecostal doctrine, if you were to open up the doctrine of Pentecostal theology, the, the, the dictionary of Pentecostal theology, you will probably get something like this. It says um, that the baptism in the spirit is a, a separate event um, that happens subsequent to salvation that is marked by the, the gift of speaking in other tongues. A, an event that happens subsequent to the point of new birth, the point of salvation, that is marked by the gift of speaking in tongues. That is a Pentecostal official doctrine. I would imagine off the top of my head that C3 Church, for instance, doesn't even have that. It's slightly different too. That is a Pentecostal view, a charismatic view. It's just a slight difference. It says that uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an event that happens subsequent to salvation that is usually evidenced by the speaking in other tongues. So there's a, there's a slight difference, but a significant difference. Pure Pentecostal theology says that the speaking in other tongues is the evidence of baptism in the Spirit. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not baptised in the Spirit. The a charismatic view says that the speaking in tongues is the usual evidence of being baptised in the Spirit, but not the only evidence. Why is that important? Well, there's no mention of falling over. There's, and you've picked up on this, Gene. There's no mention that falling over is an evidence of baptism in the Spirit. Yep. It's actually not. And it's right. You don't actually read anywhere where, it fall, where people fall over, where it's recorded that people fall over. In fact, I have, much to the chagrin of my embarrassment to claim myself a Pentecostal, I have seen Pentecostal theologians who try to claim that there is evidence of falling over. And it's when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, who is it that you want? And they all shrink back and fall over. And, and they use that as evidence of being slain in the spirit. Yes, you're all looking at me straight. Absolutely. I've seen theologians claim that. That to me is a, mis a gross misunderstanding of what's going on in that yeah. story. Yeah. And for starters, that's non-believers getting pushed back under the presence of God. I think it's just the authority of Jesus in that moment. His confidence. He's just been through his Gethsemane experience. His mm. confidence that it's overbearing to them. So to park that. So we need to now look at all the Old Testament references. When we Let's deal with the falling over for a moment and those sorts of things. That is not listed anywhere in the New Testament as a gift of the Holy Spirit. No. Okay. So let's not mark that down as as some kind of sign of spiritual gifts or spiritual spirituality or, or something yeah, like that. Right. It's not that. I think there's good reference to it. All the stuff I mentioned about Saul prophesying and this, this ecstatic declaration, that's where that comes from. Yeah. So there is a sense in which you can experience the supernatural power of God, but whether you fall over or not um, is not the mark of being baptised in the Spirit. When it comes to speaking in other tongues, that one I think is. Yeah. I think, uh, I think I would probably lean... Theologically, I think there's very good evidence that speaking in tongues is the sign of baptism in the Spirit. But I have seen plenty of Pentecostal Christians who speak in tongues that seem to lack any other power or spiritual power in their life. And I know other people who, who don't speak in tongues and yet seem to be in tune with the Spirit of God and, yeah. and seem to be living for God and seem to be doing great things for God. So, so mm -hmm. I, I, pull, I take a step back and I go, okay, I think that there's good evidence in the Bible that speaking in tongues is a is something that uh, marks the baptism or something tangible happening in our world. Mm -hmm. yep. And we should aspire to that. Jesus told his disciples, stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power. Stay there until you receive something significant. 
And so they received and were baptized in the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And then the ministry began after they were filled with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. You've quoted Acts chapter 4. They were filled with the Spirit of God. Doesn't mention speaking in tongues there, but something tangible happened. After that, the place where they were shaken, place where they were praying was shaken. And they all, it doesn't say they spoke in tongues. It says they all spoke the word of God boldly. So that's a, yep. a secondary evidence. It's not a primary evidence. Acts chapter 10, you quoted, which is Peter in the house of Cornelius. They did speak in tongues. So these were Gentiles. Peter starts to preach to them about Jesus. They do speak in tongues. And it's so radically mindset shifting for Peter that he goes, wow, I can't stop these people from being baptized in water because they're speaking in tongues. That's a sign that God has blessed them. Yeah. So that's Acts chapter 10. They were speaking in tongues there. Um, in, oh, I might have missed one. Uh, I think it's probably Acts chapter 7 when, oh, maybe not Acts 7, but anyway, Peter and John go to, what are you laughing at? <laughs> the fact that you, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the fact that you're not even looking at it, you just can just, oh, right. I love I love that your mind is like, so the Bible like is that. like it's written in there. there. So, um, <laughs> Acts seven fifty one. is this what you mean? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncertain. No, not that. Okay. No, no, it's not, not Acts 7, <laughs> that's Stephen. That's good, though. It's, yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, he resists the Holy Spirit. Yeah, well, he's talking to, yes. No, it's when Peter and John go to Samaria and they and they preach to the Samaritans and it, say, and, and it says, Simon the sorcerer, it says, when he saw that the gift, of, the gift of the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, he offered the money and said, hey, give me this gift too. And Peter says, may your money perish with you because you think you can buy the gift of God. But let's just backtrack for a minute. Something significant is happening. Yeah. Supernatural is happening that a sorcerer sees Peter and John laying hands on people and they're being filled with the spirit and he wants it. So this isn't something that's not obvious. Mm, yeah. That to me shows me that this can't be just something that's happening at the point of conversion that's happening inside your heart. Because yeah. no sorcerer wants that. The sorcerer wants something because he sees a power happening. Yeah. So okay. I think it's good evidence that they were speaking in tongues. It's good evidence that something tangible was happening it may not have been speaking in tongues but there was good evidence there was a supernatural encounter happening that this sorcerer who's into he's like balaam he's into this old testament he's into this spiritual stuff yeah, yeah. he goes i want that mm. so there is a tangible separate power that's happening upon them skip ahead to acts 19 19 is it is that paul and ephesus is that where you're going paul and the ephesian ephesians uh The, the guys that said we got John's baptism. Yes, that's it. The yep, Ephesians. Yep, yep, yep. That's it. Acts 19. You, you read that one, Jeff. Yep. So, uh, so 19 verse 4, um, Paul says that John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Paul laid his hands on them the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So there's another example yep. of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, the evidence of that being tongues and prophecy. So I think you have to really be not wanting <clears throat> to see this in the scripture to be trying to reason, to, to be coming to this view that there's nothing supernatural happening. It mm. seems very clear there are supernatural events. Whatever they look like, they're significant supernatural. And there's really only one common thing that keeps popping up. That's speaking in tongues. Yeah. Yep. That's the one that, it's not there all the time, but it's the, it's the one that's the most common mm. that pops up there. And later on, Paul 
declares, doesn't he? I speak in tongues more I than I thank all God of you. that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yeah. So he's either thanking God more than everyone else, or he's thanking God that he's speaking in tongues more than all the, whichever one it is. Oh, yeah. It doesn't change the point. The Paul's making a big deal about speaking in yeah. tongues. Yes. Right. Mm. Am I to understand that speaking of tongues is a groaning of the spirit? Yeah. Romans that, 12? That, yes. And also an, a heavenly language that a person unwillingly speaks, like you said, Amanda. Um, like a not prayer. Like it, it just. It's not something you're controlling, as you said. It's coming out of you. Is this? I'm what not you're controlling saying? the sounds or the words that are coming out of my Mouth. mouth. Keep going. Is that well? Yeah, that's all I have to say really about it. You it, have control not, over whether you speak in tongues or not. Yeah. That. Yes, I have control over whether. It's hard to explain because it's not like talking where I'm going. I'm going to say hello, Jeannie. My name is Amanda. It is something that I just. It just comes out. Yes. Um, as you open your mouth. As I open my mouth to speak in tongues. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's meant to be a prayer, a deep prayer, yeah. right? Yeah. That's how I think of this? Yes. Yeah, spiritual component. Can I don't think it's any one thing, though. I think um, Mel, for example, the other day said to someone, I, <coughs> I pray in tongues when I don't know what else to pray. Um, I've heard Nicky Gumbel say that on the Alpha course as well. He's an Anglican. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I think that's one reason or one way to pray in tongues. But then I also think that uh, sometimes I worship in tongues. Sometimes yeah. it just comes out of me. Um, and I think that that heavenly language, maybe someone could interpret it. I'm not sure. But I think that heavenly language is worshipping from my heart and from a deeper part of my soul. Yes. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. It's good. I've yeah. heard it described as when when we kind of lack the words, our spirit joins with the Holy Spirit mm. to to speak the words that yeah. So some of that we can't that we can't speak. Yeah. Uh, some of, and Romans this is where you're going. I think Romans 12 says um, the spirit intercedes with groans that words cannot express. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some, of, some of the clearest teaching I've ever heard on this was from uh, Dr. Ken Chant many years ago. And, uh, and he, he did a deep dive into this and it, it's still stuck with me. And I think it's the most sound theology I've ever seen is that the ability to speak in tongues seems to be an innate ability within the human spirit. So it's not necessarily the spirit of god doing the praying it's mm. our spirit praying and that fits with lots of lots of scriptures around when it taught when paul talks about speaking in tongues it's his spirit that's praying my mind is unfruitful but my spirit is praying so there's a human spirit the ability within each of us in in somehow in the in the um the spiritual component, our spirit, our soul, our body, whatever the the um, part of us that is is not physical, mm-hmm. is that that has been in, every human has that ability. Because you see, what you need to realise is this whole concept of speaking in other tongues is not unique to Christianity. It was a common practice in many pagan religions as well at this time. Some kind of ecstatic chants and all this sort of stuff. It was it was not that uncommon in that time and it still isn't you can still go to pagan cultures to voodoo voodoo and so on right which makes sense if you're dealing with a an attribute that is within the human spirit what needs to happen 
in this is what Ken Chance said, is that normally what happens is something needs to be a catalyst to kick it off. So there needs to be something that, to kickstart the ability to do it. A catalyst is when, when, when something comes, you, you can have two, um, in science, catalysts, you can have two chemicals that mix together and they can mix together perfectly and they're innate, they, they're, they, don't, they don't react, they just sit there quite happy. You introduce one drop of something else, that's the catalyst, and suddenly that drop of a third thing kickstarts the reaction of those two yeah. things, bang, gone. And so our human spirit has the ability to have this experience and it needs a catalyst. Now that can be that catalyst could be a demonic spirit. It could be some kind of ecstatic uh, human mind thing, or it could be a supernatural uh, gift of the spirit. Now we shouldn't be scared by that because it's intended to be a union point with God. So if we are allowing the spirit of God to be that catalyst, remember Jesus said he'll give good the Holy Spirit. He he gives good gifts. So I tell people all the time, you don't need to be afraid of this. God wants to give you good gifts. If your heart is for Him. The Spirit of God will be that catalyst that will create this ability within you. And your spirit has the ability now to speak and utter in tongues, that in groans, in words that our minds can't understand. Mm. Does that make sense so far? Is that... that makes sense. Yeah. Right. And... Sorry, go on. No, keep going. Ask a question. <laughs> My question was, <laughs> I can completely understand that it's being a personal prayer, something yep. that you can, in your own home or your own time, you yep. can speak those utterances of the Spirit. Yep. Do you? Yes. You, do think... you have the gift of... Uh, no, this is just, this yeah. is just the <laughs> fact that I've, I have the feeling you're about to ask, what about in the church? Yes, yes. yes. So I could see it at home and I think... Um, now you've thrown me, Roman. Were well, you going to ask that... But but that is, um, you know... It, you know, what is the point of it? If you're up on stage yes. and you're suddenly speaking in tongues, what is the point if nobody else can understand you? Absolutely. How yeah. is that edifying anybody in the church well, we, community? The and, wait, 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 and particularly anybody walking in the door that sees this. Yep. That's okay. what I want to say. I mean, for them walking in, outside walking in, it's looking crazy. So that's you know partly I mean? why I'm very careful about that um, because 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. Who did I do? We did that, didn't we, Jeff, in our podcast? Yeah, yeah, 1 Corinthians just, 12, 13 and 14. We spoke at length about this issue. That's exactly the problem the Apostle Paul is addressing in the Corinthian church. From what we can imply from those three chapters, it would appear that what you described was happening. In whatever format the church was, they were all coming together and just babbling on in tongues. And it was disordered, it was chaotic, and it had no relevance to the people that were there. Not only did it not have relevance to the outsiders who come in and think you're a crazy bunch, but it actually had no relevance to the Christians that were there either because there was nothing, they weren't understanding one another. They thought somehow this babbling in tongues was a sign of their spirituality. Mm. And Paul's going, no, that's not what the church service, the gathering of Christians, is about. And so in 12, 13 and 14, he unpacks all that. And he says things like, um, if I, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of angels and of men and have not love, I'm nothing. I'm just a clanging cymbal and a resounding gong. It's just noise. Back, mm. Basically, it's just noise. I have to have love. He says things like, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the control of the prophet, which means my human spirit has yep. the ability to prophesy or pray in tongues, but I'm in control of it. These Corinthians seem to be coming together and just 
losing the plot and thinking, oh, we're all ecstatically yeah. out of control going here. Going into a trance. Going into some kind of trance state. Mm. Because, like you said before, other cultures, and perhaps cultures around them had this yeah. visual sign of spirituality yes. and audible sign. And somehow they must have wanted that or thought mm. that was normal. So if they wanted that and thought that is normal, is this them creating something? They're, could they have been creating this speaking of tongues? Uh, no. Uh, Paul does not seem to indicate that they were creating it. I think a better explanation is they were misusing it. Mm. Paul's not saying it wasn't, wasn't of the spirit. He's just saying, you guys need to remember you're in control of your spiritual gifts. You're in control of those gifts. Quit trying to blame it on the spirit of God and say, well, this is just the way it is. No, God has given you these gifts for the building up of the body. 1 Corinthians 12 mm. is all about if the eye should say to the hand, I don't need you, then you then uh, you don't belong with me. He's trying to say God has given you gifts for the purpose yep. of building up the body of Christ, bringing order and structure, the exact opposite of what was going on in Corinth because mm. they thought their spirituality was like that. So it wasn't that it was all wrong. It was just being misused or, or misrepresented. And he, he brings 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, the wedding chapter, into the middle of it. I said this to Jeff on the podcast, 12 and 14. You can read the end of chapter 12 and the start of chapter 14 and extract 13, and it still makes perfect sense. 13 is directly inserted into the middle of these two chapters to say it all has to do with love. Mm. Everything is about loving others. Your purpose for using these gifts is to love others you're in control of these gifts they are for the building up of the body of christ not for tearing down and he says things like i thank god that i pray in tongues more than all of you but in the church i'd rather say five intelligible words in a language they understand than ten thousand words in a tongue why because the gift of tongues is for my spirit and for me not for the church so jeannie's question was what do we do in the church service if someone prays in tongues? Well, Paul makes it very clear. He says, unless there's someone to interpret that tongue and some way that it can be interpreted into English in our case or into the language yeah. that's understood, better to keep quiet. Paul's saying, just keep quiet and pray, pray in private. If you're going to bring it into the church, bring it into the church, but make sure that it's in an interpreted environment. Exactly, yeah. I've said enough for now. I'm happy to throw to you guys. but Can I just uh, mention something, Jeannie, that I just think this is important to know. With Rowan talking <coughs> about, you know, people maybe speaking in tongues through a, a different spirit other than the Holy Spirit, this is in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3, where Paul speaks and he says, So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. Okay, so for, for anyone that's kind of worried that they're being overtaken by the devil or something and they're, they're, you know, when they're speaking in tongues that they're saying, you know, Jesus is no good, I don't want anything to do with him or whatever, that won't happen. You're speaking by the Holy Spirit. You won't be saying anything bad about, about Jesus. Jesus. So you don't have to be scared about it. And the fact that, you know, Paul talks about all this order. That, that's what God's about. God's a God of order. That's why he, when he... Well, the Spirit's about bringing order out of chaos. Exactly, Genesis 1. yeah. From the very beginning, he bought order and he wants order. So that, um, I think you, you said earlier that, you know, you're confused about the Holy Spirit and it's weird and all that. Well, he doesn't want it to be weird. He doesn't want anyone to be confused. He wants people to just understand who he is 
and and not be freaked out about it all, but, but have it all under control. So, mm. yeah. I think um, that's the one of the greatest things about the Holy Spirit is that when that happens, when you are baptised in the Holy Spirit, you can be given a greater understanding of who the Father is. Um, I know I've mentioned my dad a few times today, but this story has always stuck with me. When he became a Christian, not that it's recommended to just do this all the time. However, when he became a Christian, he went, all right, God, if you're real, show up. And he said that he was baptised in the Holy Spirit and he felt like almost like an egg, <laughs> this feeling going over, over his head and all over his body. And he, he said the only way he could describe it was love. Liquid love. Liquid love. Mm. And it was just covering him. Yeah, right. And that moment changed his whole life. But it also is the moment that he really felt the closest thing that we could ever feel, or that he could ever feel, sorry, to what who God is and that he is love. Does, does that make sense, yeah, what I was saying? Powerful. It makes sense. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, is what you're saying, Amanda, is it exposes God's love. Mm. You know, and it shows us how much he loves us through the Spirit. The Spirit works within our spirit because mm. we are this, the Spirit, I don't think we actually said it, the Spirit creates, mm-hmm. empowers, and recreates. Yep. And um, this is when you become a new Christian. You are a new Christian, and then your spirit mixes with the Holy Spirit and becomes a new version of you, right, mm-hmm. as the Holy Spirit yeah. teaches you. And as the Holy Spirit is teaching you, you're actually living out the acts of the Spirit, kindness. What are they? I don't remember. Love, joy, Love, peace, joy. patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's yeah. the NIV, I think. Slight variations depending on which version, but yeah. Which is the order that you were sort of... Well, I yes. take from what you yes. were talking about yes. order is that when we behave like that with the Spirit in us, we, that's an orderly thing yeah. to live out the fruits of totally. the Spirit. Totally. Another way, I, I, I like the way Nicky Gumbel is going back testing my memory now. Nicky Gumbel on the Alpha course many, many years ago when he was first doing Alpha back in the 90s, probably does in the more recent ones, although I think he's handed it over to other people now. He's, he described the Holy Spirit baptism like the difference between, um, on a gas furnace, the difference between a pilot light and then switching it up or on a barbecue or whatever. Yeah, this is, you know, being born again is like the spirit is in us, but think of it like the pilot light. You know, you don't get much heat out of the pilot light, but when you're filled with the spirit, and this guy's an Anglican, when you're filled with the spirit, it's like turning that thermostat right up and whoosh, whoosh. And there's that like fresh that. empowering at a greater mm-hmm. level. And it actually brings warmth and life mm-hmm. and energy. And so that's that's just it's it's a once again it's a imperfect analogy, but it just helped me. It stuck with me for thirty years, just to realise that that's a little bit like what we're talking about here. Um, that the spirit is the spirit wants to come upon us for the purpose of empowering us for life, to fulfil his purpose in us. Do, do you think do do any of you think it would be possible to hang in there with Jesus if you didn't have the Holy Spirit? No. No, me either. No, I think the Holy Spirit is what changes you or what speaks to you to enable you to change. Mm. It's that little voice inside that says, hey, 
maybe you should go to church or maybe there is a, a God. It's, it's um, And as Shannon sort of mentioned yesterday uh, in his um, message, uh, that it convicts, yeah. doesn't mm. condemn. The Holy Spirit convicts you and mm. urges you onto the truth of Christ. I think um, the, speaking of the fruit of the Spirit passage, I think as much as we know, well, that passage indicates to us that the fruit of having the Holy Spirit in us are those things it's also a sign that it is the holy spirit speaking to you because it will always be full of love and and joy and, and peace and, and yeah and acknowledge that jesus is, is christ which is all of those fruits um as well yeah. so it goes both ways too you know yeah. i think I think, the, you know, a, a good way to sum it all, a conversation up, there are probably other questions as well, but a good way to sum up the conversation is uh, I'm all for building doctrine and hopefully I've done some of that and showed some doctrine here around the, you know, the, through the journeying through the Acts passages around the empowering of the Spirit and what's happening. However, I think we can run the risk of uh, putting God in a box by, feel, by only trying to build doctrine. I think I might have mentioned this in the in the Pentecost Sunday message with Jeff. I think it, uh, I remember Ken Chan saying it is it is the forming up of the doctrine of the baptism in the Holy Spirit that actually probably allowed the Pentecostal movement to to go big. Mm-hmm. In the sense that prior to that, there were definitely we've got lots of recorded history of people speaking in tongues and supernatural gifts happening and healings and miracles throughout two thousand years of church history, but a formal doctrine of the spirit was probably only written there in those early stages of the 20th century and it was that teaching that enabled it to be taught like we're doing today we're teaching a doctrine and that that is how now um you know one half of the christian church and i think like two billion people are charismatic pentecostals in the world today one quarter of the world claimed to be pentecostal charismatic lots of those in southeast south asia and, and south america south and america. so on so that has come in the space of 100 years. So the doctrine is useful. Where I probably have moved away from over time is not trying to... Recognising while the doctrine, doctrine is useful, don't get hung up on the doctrine at the expense of the experience. Just, cre- just create some space. And I just come back to the scriptures again where Jesus says, hey, I'm going to give the Holy Spirit to you because it's a good gift. Yep. And I just, I'm, I'm willing to trust that Jesus knows what's best for me and if he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's going to be a good gift, then that will just, I have to just move into the realm of faith and, and not try to have to have every uh, I dotted and every T crossed and have everything explained to me. Because I think my, I don't know about some of you, I mean, Jeannie's probably wired the way I'm very, very um, left brain, very much focused on wanting to see evidence. And somewhere I've got to park my desire for evidence and just go, I'm just going to trust that. God is good for me and I don't have to have all the answers I'm just going to believe and be open to the experience and I think that opening up of my heart and being willing to just trust in God creates space for a God that is never going to be limited by my understanding or my box or my doctrine Mm -hmm. to move in my life be open for that and trust in that well I think there is the evidence I see in the Old Testament that we talked about and in my own life, and I know you can all attest to it in your own life, is the evidence of the Holy Spirit is an unexplainable. Is that the word? Yes. Un- or is it inexplainable? I never get those right. Whichever. An unexplained encounter with God. 
Mm. It's the way I would describe it. And I've, we've, we read about these characters today. Yeah, we don't actually get the explanation. We just get the fact that it's recorded that it happened, don't we? Yeah. Oftentimes. Yes. yes. Mm. So it is this moment of God um, that is, is supernatural mm. in nature and, and changes us and empower, empowers us for the moment and enables us to speak the truth and to, um, to preach. We haven't even mentioned that, that the mm. Holy Spirit enables you to preach. For sure. Yeah, and the Holy Spirit is really a great helper to the church. And um, that's when you talked about the gifts of the Spirit. The mm. gifts of the Spirit are for the church. So the Holy Spirit needs to be moving within each and everybody within the church so that we can build each other up and we can create a space for the heavenly, a mini Eden, a mini Eden. We've, we've talked about. Should, should we just take a moment and go to that gifts of the spirit thing? Because sure. that's going to be yep. a question that we probably need to address. Do you need to go, Amanda? Nope. Nope. Good. So we've touched on 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of the spirit. So you, you said that, that the gifts of the spirit are for um, the body of Christ to be built up. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul lists nine gifts of the spirit. This will test me. Uh, tongues interpretation prophecy uh discernment of spirits word of wisdom word of knowledge um what am i missing healing faith healing and miracles so three groups of three nine gifts of the spirit now pentecostal pure theology is listed they are the nine actual gifts that happen when a person is filled with the spirit that if you're filled with the spirit they are the nine that you have available to you the problem I, I used to believe that emphatically. The problem I see is that there are other gifts listed in other places um, in the Bible. Peter has a list of gifts. Paul has an, at least two other lists of gifts as well. And there's all kinds of reasons why, oh, that's a gift of the Spirit and that's a gift of this and that's a gift of that. And I used to believe that. I tend to think that they're just, he's just using lists to, to prove points these days. But there, regardless of, of how literal those nine gifts are are they the only nine things that can happen so in in romans 12 paul lists some other gifts like uh, administration for instance it's not listed in first corinthians 12 it's listed yeah exactly you're an admin person <laughs> so is that a spiritual gift so it's very helpful to the it's church. incredibly necessary <laughs> to the church but it's not listed in first corinthians 12 it's listed in romans 12 and, and there are some people who go, no, no, they're called motivational gifts. They're gifts that are wired into people. That's different to the spiritual gifts that are listed right. in 1 Corinthians 12. Mm. Maybe, maybe not. Um, that's the traditional Pentecostal view. Does it really matter? Well, that's, that's probably more my point. If it's all in service for Jesus, then does it really matter? <laughs> yeah. However, I would say this. I would say that 1 Corinthians 12, those gifts are supernatural Faith, healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, uh, mm. word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discernment of spirits. They are supernatural. I don't, I don't in their know. I think sometimes the amount of admin I get done in a it's day could be supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good call, good call. However, sometimes um, sometimes it's the opposite of yeah. that. It's <laughs> yeah. so, like demonically inspired to try and stop you from doing admin. Um, those things, regardless of what it is, the spirit is going to empower us for the purpose of building up the body of Christ so that we can work at being who we are called to be. And yeah. so I think doing that within the context of love, recognising that every person comes. And Paul says, when you come together, someone has a tongue, someone has a prophecy, someone has this. And not that he's saying every person only has one, 
because I've heard that argued. They'll say, oh, you know, one person has yep. tongues. I don't have the gift of tongues because I have the gift of this. That's not what Paul's saying. Because you read it in this context, he's saying, it seems to be indicating anyone can have any of the gifts. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, Paul says. Mm. In other words, what's the, and he says, uh, the best gift, eagerly desire the best gift, is what Paul says in the end of 1 Corinthians 12. Yep. And I would say, well, what's the best gift? Well, I think it's implied that the best gift is the one that the body of Christ needs at that time. Mm. What's That's the point good. in having a word of knowledge if someone's telling you they're sick? You don't need a word of knowledge because they've, they've come to the they altar and said, I'm sick. Yeah. They need a gift of healing. But mm. someone's sitting in the room and they're thinking, is God listening to me today? Does God really know me today? Like that Exodus scripture I used and I'm preaching on the screen here. The person's sitting there going, I need to hear something from God. Me not even knowing it, but it's come out to them and they've heard something that's changed the course of their life. Um, because of something I've said on a video, they needed a different gift. And mm. so whatever gift is most needed is the best gift in that moment. And mm. Paul would say, use those gifts for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Seek to use your gifts, not so you can look at how spiritual you are, which is what the Corinthians were doing wrong. Seek to get the gifts of God so that you can add value to other people. So mm. other people can experience yep. the love of God. It's always about... Because that's love, because it's, it's not love. selfish, It's right? not selfish. Love, love keeps no record selfish. of wrong. Love is not selfish. Mm. That's why First Corinthians 13 is there. The best gift is the gift that I have got that helps someone else. When I hop in the pulpit, I trust that God is giving me a gift for today. But friends, you can be sitting in church and you can be going praying before you come to church and go, God, give me a gift today. And it might be over coffee after church that you say to someone, I was praying for you this morning and, and I just felt yeah, this. That sure. could be the thing that they needed more than the sermon or the worship experience mm. that day. Yep. If we would all come with that desire to use and, and be in tune with God's spirit so that we can add value to other people. Yeah, 100%. What were you going to say, Jeff? You got your Bible open there. Oh, yeah, well, I was just thinking that... I don't really know why I looked up this verse, but um, well, Shannon talked about it yesterday when he preached, and and that um, when Jesus says it's better that I go, then I will send the Holy Spirit to you. So surely, if Jesus says he'll, he he went so we can have the Holy Spirit, that means that the Holy Spirit is still here today. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, and. The, like you said, the main thing that the Holy Spirit does is, is, is to help us to love people. And the best way that we can love people is by teaching people that they need Jesus. And that sort of carries on in this verse here. It says, the world's sin is that they refuse to believe in me. Uh, and Jeannie mentioned before that the Holy Spirit will come. He convicts us of that sin. So, you know, if the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything else other than help us to reach out and, and tell people yeah, good. about Jesus and the, the fact that they, they're going to perish without him, well, we need the Holy Spirit, don't we? Yes, we do. 100% need him. Yep. Now as much as ever. Absolutely. He said, stay in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power by the Spirit yep. before you do any of that because we need the Spirit's power. That's right. Yep. And he's still today doing the same thing that he was trying to do back when he spoke through that donkey. Yep. Trying to get people to turn back to yep. him and understand that 
his way is the only way. Yep. Yeah. I like it. It's better that you for you that I go away because unless I go away, I cannot will not spend, cannot send the Holy Spirit to you. Yeah. I mentioned this on in in my preaching on on the Spirit, um, which might have been the same video message. I know I preached this at C three Picton um, that uh, Jesus was so adamant that they, that we we're better off with the Spirit than with Him. Mm. Um, that you never see the disciples saying, oh, I wish Jesus was here. I wish Jesus, he, if Jesus was with us, he'd know what to do. Because beyond that time, after they are baptized in the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, yeah. they know they have the Spirit. They have God closer to them than as if Jesus was in the room with them. So they never look back with regret. Oh, I wish Jesus was here. I wish he hadn't gone to heaven and left us. Because they understood this radical relocation of God, that God had gone from being... God in heaven to the God with them in the form of Emmanuel, Jesus, and now they had the Spirit in them. God had come to live and dwell in them, mm. and so then you've got to read the scripture. Yeah, yeah, I had it up. So, which yeah. one? Which one? Oh, I had a few up, um, but keep going. I didn't want to interrupt. No, that's all right. Well, you're saying in within. So within. basically, should I think of the Holy Spirit within also acting as a guide? Yes, uh, and like a an inner voice. Would that be the way you yes. describe yeah. it as inner voice? Because yes, there, sure. in Acts twenty twenty three, I read here, I only know that in every spirit, in every city, sorry, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison hard and hardships are facing me. So Paul is hearing from within yes. a warning. Mm. What is going to ha- happen? A, a warning. Also, they're told uh, another point in the Bible not to go to this place. The Holy Spirit warns them and not yes. to go to not not to go to this place so yeah so if the spirit is within should i be praying to sort of hear the inner spirit voice is this what you so you're getting really granular and practical about what this looks like Yeah. yeah the number one question i get asked as a pastor is how do i know the will of god more than anything else. I want to discern the will of God. How do I discern what the will of God is? And there's, no, there's not one definite answer to that. There's multiple answers. There's the fact that we should know the word because God has revealed himself in the word. There is the fact that we should be in the counsel of many witnesses because, as I've said earlier in this podcast, we can't trust that we see completely ourselves. However, that is not in any way to diminish that inner voice of God. And as we cultivate a relationship with God through prayer, through community with others, through reading his word, all of those things uh, cause us to develop and deepen our relationship with the spirit of God. And as we do, we learn to discern what is the voice of God. And I I use this analogy. Been married to Jill for 30, uh, what are we, 2023, 30, uh, two years, 32, nearly 32 years, coming up to 32 years, right? After 32 years of marriage, I know her pretty well. Yeah. I know the, th- the way she'll respond to things before she responds to them because I've experienced that. A relationship with God's Spirit is similar to that. I have spent so much time with the Spirit, I'm not perfect at this, but I almost know instinctively what the Spirit wants me to do and what the Spirit will not want me to do. Yeah, that's spot on. And that's, mm. that's a relationship that happens over time. So developing the relationship with God through prayer, through intimacy, through worship, through reading community, through reading the Word, all those things, all of the above, they are what help me to discern the will of God. And to the point now where I, I can pretty much more often than not, not, not perfectly because we're not perfect, more often than not I can tell when it's the Spirit of God speaking to me through that still small voice. Yep. 
I can sense that when that's God and when it's not. We should probably say, insert there as well, that still small voice. There aren't, aren't very many people that have actually heard the audible voice of God. There aren't many. So it is not abnormal if you have not heard the audible voice of God. It is not a loud, you know, (laughs) big boomy sound that you're hearing from inside of you. I think it's also not abnormal if you haven't heard the quiet inner voice as well. I think there's a lot of Christians out there who have no concept of what that is. Mm. Um, They read their Bible and they have a love of Christ, but they don't connect, I suppose, with that voice. So so what I would say to to that is, is that that's where prayer comes in. So that that's what prayer is. So I would encourage if you're in that situation and you you don't feel like you know or are confident to hear God's voice, start with something simple. Just like if you're building a relationship, just start asking some questions and just listen. Prayer is as much listening. Sometimes we pray, which is us speaking, but mm-hmm. prayer is a two-way conversation. If I'm always talking at Jill and never listening to her, I'm not going to get to know her. So I think listening and, and allowing that and cultivating it and and learning to say, what, are, what would the Lord say to you? Sometimes I'll do this in a, in a meeting. I'll say, let's just take 60 seconds now and just calm your mind and just I say, God, I'm here. Speak to me. And listen to what thought pops into your mind and trust yeah. that that's a good gift, that God is speaking to you through that. Um, and obviously, if God says, you know, you know, leave your marriage, well, then if you feel that God's saying you leave your marriage, that's a, that's a big call. You don't do that. Or if God says, mm-hmm. pack up and move to the other side of the world, that's where that discernment and that wisdom and seeking counsel of others comes in. Mm-hmm. But just start with little stuff. Sometimes it'll just be, God will just say, I'm here for you. I've got this. Mm. It's going to be okay. Yeah, it's you know, going to be full of love and joy and That's peace. right. And patience and kindness. Yeah, we can pray for more Holy Spirit. Yes, yeah. That's what you can yeah. do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. And it would also be about, I hear this little inner voice. I'm going to test it. I don't know, or, or step forward in this moment. And yes, this exactly, Jeannie. And then the people in the church with their other gifts uh, can confirm it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, I yep. see what you're yeah. saying there. Yeah. Yep. So, and in that, you, you might be in a small group environment, and you can. we've done this in small groups over the years, where you actually do help people to, you know, you might have a hot seat is a good way to do that. You put someone in the hot seat and yeah. just you just have different people praying for them. And sometimes I'll step back and I'll just say, Jeff, you pray for Amanda. And we'll just coach and help people to develop that gifting. Because that, what you're developing is a relationship with God's spirit. Mm. And it, it takes time. It's not always instant. But I would say don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of that, which comes back to my thing again. The spirit is a good gift. Trust yeah. God with it. I think um, also to those people who think that they haven't heard the heard God's voice speak to them before. Not everyone. However, I think they'd be surprised to know that God speaks to them more than they think. Like, for example, that little prompting that they might have to pay for their the next person's coffee in the line or um, or to go and bless that person on the street with some food or, you know, things like make that. Make a phone call. Yeah, make a phone call to someone that you haven't heard from for a while. Very well could be God speaking and saying, hey, what about that person? Yeah. <coughs> you know, so next time you have things that are uh, thoughts or promptings or motivations in your heart that you are full of love and joy and peace and kindness and patience and all those sorts of things. Take notice of it because I think you'd be surprised to know that 
you know, it's probably God speaking to you to help someone else. It is the motivation is love. Yeah. Always love. It's good. I would agree with that. Like like you said, Rowan, when you, when you've um, been walking with the Lord for a while and you know matured your relationship, then that sort of thing happens, Amanda. That sort of mm. instinctual um, prompting sort of happens, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and that can be the the voice of God for sure. Yeah. It doesn't have to be audible or even an, an inner voice, but just mm. a yeah, an instinctual knowing, yeah. knowing and, and in a knowing. way of knowing. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So next time that yeah. sort of that sort of thing happens to you, pay attention to it because to our listeners, I mean, pay attention to it because um, I think that can help exercise that muscle, so sure. to speak, That's is what I'm trying to, to get at. Yeah. Um, you know, pay attention to that and go, oh, so that's what that felt like. And the next time that happens, you might go, oh. Oh, is this God? And then talk to your connect leader or talk to um, your pastor or talk to your, your close friends in, in group settings like these. Um, so, yeah. so and a good example of that, you know, I mentioned the example of Jill and I both, you know, speak, sensing the calling to come here uh, to the rule. I can't talk for Jill. I'll talk for myself. When I first got that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Rowan, that's your job. You can do that, yep. right? At that moment, I still parked it and I still went, okay, Lord, if that's what it is, I want to make sure that you confirm that, etc., etc. And we parked it for a period of time. But I know now, I, I, I know that that was God at that moment because here we are. Yep. So even though I was convinced that was God, that's just years of experience of hearing the voice of God to, to then be able mm. to discern the will of God in those significant moments. But I was convinced but I just went, Lord, you're just going to have to um, confirm this because I just want to make sure. Yeah. But I, I reckon I knew that was the voice of God in that moment speaking to me. And I know exactly where I was and what was happening when I heard that, the news that C3 Thoreau was looking for a pastor. This is like months before anything happened, six months yep. before anything happened. Um, and I, I sensed the Holy Spirit speaking to me in that moment. Yeah. And so that's just come from years of cultivating the voice of God and having those kind of experiences to, just to be able to know there's no way to there's no way to explain it other than just experience. You just mm. you get to discern where those thoughts. I always say describe them like they come from left brain. They just come out of nowhere. <laughs> they just almost impregnated into my mind. I wasn't even thinking about that thing, and then bang, it's there. Mm. Or the subconscious moments in the middle of the night where I wake up and an idea comes. And I go, well, yeah. that's come out of nowhere. That's the spirit of God sure. speaking to me. Mm. It's like He's impregnating my mind with ideas. I'm still I'm still willing to do what I still have the choice to do what I want with it. Um, it's not like God's taking over, but God is aligning himself with my mind and speaking ideas and implanting. It's a good way of thoughts. putting it, that word impregnating your mind yeah. and, and your heart yes. too, right? Like it, I feel it here. Yeah. Mm. Should, I, should I understand that it's a similar thing when people are given a word for somebody else? It's, it's they different. have this impregnation yes. of a word uh, or a picture. Yep, sometimes it's a picture. Sometimes it's a word, like Kenny, he's, he sees words, doesn't he? Yeah, he sees a flashing, flashing word, word, and mm. it's generally some sort of encouragement for someone or for a service. Um, so he'll just be praying and he'll just get a word. Um, yeah. One of the funniest ones, funny story, many, many years ago, Kiwi prophet Greg Burson, well-respected Kiwi prophet. I remember being at a conference 
And he was telling a story of how God gave him a prophetic word for someone. Anyone, any Princess Bride fans among us here? Anyone know? Yeah, yeah right, Sorry. right. Absolutely. Right, so he's, he's at the front of this church. Word. Exactly. So he's at the front of this church, right? And he spots, he spots a girl in the congregation and he's arguing with the Lord because he feels the Lord telling him, you need to prophesy over that girl. And he's going, no, I can't do that, Lord. I can't do that. He walks up to this girl. He says, marriage. <laughs> marriage is what brings us together today. You know, he does that. Yeah. He was just so out of the blue. So afterwards, after the uh, nothing happened. That was the thing. He said it was just like the whole room. You know, everyone was just erupting laugh. So he just left it. He went, oh, I made a fool of myself there. <laughs> afterwards, this girl's friend brings her up and introduces her. And she says... This is my friend. Her favourite movie is... She's not saved. She doesn't know Jesus. Her favourite movie is The Princess Bride. Her email address is Princess Buttercup at something or other. And this guy who's made a complete fool of himself, the Holy Spirit has used that to win this girl to Christ. Yeah. That just blows my mind <laughs> that that would happen. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that, I was talking to a, a young woman yesterday who uh, used to be in my connect group, I don't know, 15 years ago. And um, I had a word for her then, was, uh, the word was the Lord saying, um, you should write poetry, write more poetry, you know? And I had no idea that she wrote poetry at all. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll give it to her, Lord. And I, I gave it to her and she went, wow, I, you know, I do write poetry and I was actually writing some today. And um, I just this week I was prompted to just remind her of that and I reminded her of wow. it yesterday and she went, yeah, I, I haven't done any poetry for a while. And I said, the Lord's sort of shown me that you've got a head full of flowers and things like that. You know, she goes, yes, I have, I, you know. So, so, you know, sometimes he just gives us pictures. And, and that's come from you years of you cultivating a relationship with the spirit yeah. to be able to discern and just voice. trusting that yeah. well give it a go and see what happens that's right give it a go so, yeah. and that's why for those are listening you can do that thing of just if you want to disclaim it just say this is what I'm feeling yeah it, you know it, if it doesn't make any sense to you that's okay I'm imperfect but I'm just I just feel like it would be wrong of me not to encourage you in this because because this isn't about me looking like a fool this is about I want to add value to you yeah. mm. um, so if you can get past your fear of looking like an idiot you can actually add value to someone's life. Yeah, but, you know, there's also times, like with you, with the, the word that you were going to, you know, come and work here, um, there were, uh, it reminds me of the time when Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, was told that she was going to, you know, be overcome by the Holy Spirit and, you know, have the Son of God. And she gathered, up, the Bible says she gathered all that stuff and, and held it close to her heart. She didn't run around saying, hey, I'm going to have the Son of God, you know. That's right. She kept she didn't it carry close on to like her that. heart. And, and, and I think about when I was uh, younger and I felt the Lord say to me that I was going to be a pastor, you know. I thought, that it's just not going to happen. That's not me. There's no way I can do that. And I didn't run around trying, you know, going to churches going, hey, you need to put me on as an intern or uh, because... Well, I've seen you know, a few people sadly do that regularly. Yeah, I just, I, I kept it close to my heart. For Good for you, Jeff. Good for what, you. 20, 25 years or whatever. Yep. And Unless the God tells you to proclaim it and tell everyone. Exactly. This yep. particular uh, instance. Was in, in those sure. situations, I would say it's even then, I would say with something like that, 
Jesus would say, you take the lowest point at the table and let someone else honour yes. you and lift you up. Oh, no, I don't mean about that. Um, I mean, you could be given a word of God, a word from God, and it's for the church to stand up and proclaim it. Uh, okay. Sorry, I'm talking about something completely different. Absolutely different. different. Yeah. Let, let me just talk to that for a moment. Um, sometimes I'll get people say, I mean, this, this might answer some questions. Sometimes people say, well, Lord, Pastor Rowan, the Lord's given me a word. Um, I need to share it with the church. And mm-hmm. this, is, this is a complexity issue um, that we, you know, they'll quote things like, well, you know, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 that you have the gift of the Spirit. One person should sit down and let someone else speak. Mm-hmm. They're dealing with small house churches. They're not, they're not dealing with um, the structure of our church service today. And, uh, and so you may feel, a person may feel like they have a word for the church. Um, and I think some people, sometimes they want to just come forward and take a microphone and speak it. But as a pastor, mm. there's a couple of concerns. One is that I haven't had time, I have a responsibility as a pastor to discern not on my own, but in discerning conjunction with the leadership team, what God is saying to the church. Um, and so I, you may be spot on, but there's a sense in which that can bring disorder because someone else can be sitting in the church and go, oh, someone walked up the front and said, could I have a microphone? Mm. And, and then I think, well, I've got to. I'll have a microphone too. And pretty easily it could, just, it could enter into disorder. Yep. So um, if you have a word from the Lord or you feel you have a word from the Lord, we don't want to shut that down. Uh, at all you know share it in your small group um, talk to a pastor talk to a leader have a conversation and it can be that we might go well would you share that next Sunday yep. or it doesn't have to be right in that moment yeah um, you know you might feel an urgency but hey guy I feel urgency to say stuff all the time and I'm the pastor and I, I don't say everything I think of. yeah that's right so there's self-control the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet it doesn't have to be right in that moment no matter how urgent that feels God's bigger than that, but cultivate that. Speak to people, ask people, be humble, be willing to learn, be willing to have someone direct correct you on that word. Don't stand up and say, God has spoken to me. Say, I feel God has spoken to me. Could you help me with this? Mm. There's a reason why in the Old Testament, out of all the ministries of the Old Testament, there's only one that's a school. It's regularly referred to the school of prophets, the school of the prophets. I think that's intentional because the prophetic gift a gift of, of foretelling and forthtelling and declaration on behalf of God. As we've said earlier in this podcast, it's incredibly powerful and it can be used very constructively or very destructively because of the nature of the role. You're claiming to be a mouthpiece for God. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's any surprise that you see Elisha in the school of the prophets because it's a gift that needs honing. It needs accountability. It needs um, direction. People need to learn to cultivate it. And used well, it can be an incredibly encouraging gift. But used unwisely, it can cause incredible discouragement. And so be willing to be humble and learn and cultivate that experience. Whether we're talking here about a, a person just wanting to discern the still small voice of God themselves or a voice for the church or, you know, you might be a connect leader and wanting to just the voice for your connect group. Be open, but be humble to the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and to others and, and, and present your word in an invite, the word you feel God's given you, present it to others for, what did you say, Jenny? Like, just accountability. Present it to others for, you mentioned at some point earlier on. Can't I, remember. I can't remember. Present it to others for um, clarification, direction, correction, all those things. Edification is what the word does. Pro- prophecy mm. is for edication, edification, comfort, and comfort. 
Mm. And sometimes, like your example, Pastor Jeff, uh, when you said the Lord told you you're going to be a pastor and you thought this is never going to happen, sometimes I think you just have to wait and watch and see how the Lord makes it happen. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Yep. Yep. And then all of a sudden one day you go, hey, all those years God's been pouring all this stuff into me. What's, What's this for? Teaching you, getting you ready for yeah, the moment. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And usually, like jo- like Joseph's experience, he had the prophetic word when he's just a young kid, and he had to go through multiple dungeons and dark years yeah, before well, that's it. He, mm. that was the preparation for the word. If he had have taken on that role back when he was a young kid, who was basically bragging to his brothers about them all bowing down to him, yeah. his character was not going to sustain oh, him. Yeah, for yeah. sure. The, it was the for dark sure. dungeon experience. Yeah. It was the waiting game for young David, who gets anointed as a young boy, but has to wait many years and be persecuted by Saul and go yeah. through misunderstanding and misrepresentation. But that built character into him, which enabled him to have a maturity to be able to lead. So uh, Moses... You know, young 40-year-old arrogant Moses who kills Egyptians in his 40 years in the desert before he's ready. Mm. Yep. We probably all need to be chopped down a few pegs. We do. Totally. Humbled along the way. Humbled along the way. And God's more interested in the production of our character than the provision of our comfort. And that usually character is is produced through discomfort more than anything else. It's almost like um, an analogy would be, it's almost like, which would you prefer, to win the lotto and to waste it all um, within a few months or whatever, a short amount of time on nonsense? Or would you prefer to learn how to be good with your money? Yeah. And... Accumulate it. And, and accumulate it and have it last and for you and your children and your children's children. Yep. Yep. I've just heard sure. it before. Sure. Pastor Jeff, you're looking up something there. Yeah, I'm just looking up the name of a book. Oh, name of a book. Okay. Well, I'm just conscious that we've yep. spoken for a we long time. We have spoken time. for a long time. And uh, a couple of hours. Oh, it's been really two hours and forty-two yeah, minutes. <laughs> we've spoken a lot about you know miracles and crazy things and prophesying and tongues and all these supernatural things. Uh, but I think what I've really learned, or what I'm learning, is who am I, or who are who are we to limit the power of God? Yeah. Good, Jeannie. Uh, That's a good point. We can't limit the way he speaks through people, the gifts he gives. Uh, Can can I just mention this book, Jeannie? I I read it years ago. It's a book by Pastor Phil Pringle, and it's called Moving in the Spirit. Moving in the Spirit, yep. And I can highly recommend this book. It it was so helpful for me. Uh, This is the blurb about it. It says, this book will help you be more effective in your walk with God by leading you into a closer relationship with the Holy Spirit. If, if you are interested in it, and you everyone should be interested in the Holy Spirit, <coughs> go and check it out. There's, there's probably heaps of other good books as well. Pastor but Phil Pringle, that is, is more than probably anyone I've ever seen, has faithfully been a, a man of God's Spirit and moved in the Spirit through the many many years that i've watched him 30 years i've seen pastor phil ministering even before i was in c3 just just um a man who is in tune with the spirit passionate about that when other people have just come and gone and gone oh that church stuff that spiritual stuff that's all a bit weird some have watered it down even pentecostals have watered it down and gone oh we don't want to offend anybody pastor phil has found a way to keep the supernatural in the church and not diminish that but do it in a way that um that is still understandable 
He's the master at leading a prayer, leading any kind of prayer meeting. And there's weird stuff happening. There's strange stuff happening that would question people in the right environment. But he, he just normalizes it and he encourages people and he exactly. teaches as it happens. Yep. He explains it as it happens. All of those things. He just, to me, has got the niche right in moving in the spirit without it being so weird that it just scares everybody off. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I think that's a good way to end our podcast with a good plug yeah. of the yeah. uh, <laughs> for the C3 Movement's founding, founding director. Founder. Yeah. Yeah. And so thanks so much for your time today and all your answers to my questions and all the givings, all the conversation that we've had and giving of your spirit. I just wanted to point to one thing in the Old Testament because the, the Bible has this unique way of pointing ahead at times but also when we look back we can just see how important things are as i just talked about this with uh the character the holy spirit like a character in a movie you come back and you see how important they are and that verse that i read to you before in numbers eleven twenty nine, but moses replied are you jealous for my sake i wish that all the lord's people were prophets and that the lord would put his spirit upon them all Moses waited thousands of years for that prayer to be answered. Yes, that's right. Mm. It got yes. answered in the end. Answered in the end. The Lord's Spirit is poured upon each and every one of us. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, thanks very much. That Amen. was our first special. That was it. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll have some Q&As coming or Q&Rs. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Keep those questions pouring in. I'm sure there's lots out there. So. All right. Thank you, Jean. Thanks Thank so you. Much. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Yeah, May God right. bless Amen. you all. Bless you. God bless you. See you next time, guys.